Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Geek Vibes In Geek Vibes Nation, this is your friend Dane with another enticing episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance, a weekly show where we, me and my co-host, Christopher Brother Ray Patton, break down the latest and greatest in professional wrestling news and talk about the shows that we watched. Uh, for new listeners, uh, thanks for checking us out. A uh, bunch of information once you're, you know, done with uh, listening to our show for stuff, you know, basically if you want to listen to us, uh, check Wrestling Geeks Alliance on Google. Uh, and you can find different options, you know, Spotify, we're on iTunes, we load up our stuff on YouTube, so there's a bunch of different options, and uh, just thank you, thank you for checking us out, um, and just enjoy the ride, of course I am with my co-host, Christopher Brother Ray Patton, how you doing sir? Doing great man, playing a little bit of catch up on wrestling, um, it's been a busy week for me, but nothing, uh, nothing bad, uh, how's your week been going Dane? You know, it's good. Uh, busy. Very, very busy and long, but structured, if that makes sense. And I'm basically on autopilot right now, so this should be a really good episode. Yeah, sounds like it. We'll just we'll cruise on through, man. Set this thing to about 75. Cruise control. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> okay. I can't drive 55, all right, man? I so, said I don't know I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah, I was like I said 75. <laughs> we live in it we live in Atlanta. Anything less than 75 will get you killed on the interstate. It's <laughs> a good point, especially if you're in a giant van that has an octopus on it and says PTS like I do usually. <sighs> what are you going to do? <laughs> but um yeah, we got a lot of stuff to cover. Um this might unless we can get something going on, this might be the only show this week, and apologize about last week, me and Chris had some prior stuff that we had to do within our lives, so we took an off week. Uh, do apologize for all of our old listeners that were wondering what happened, but, uh, you know, that's 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 that's, that's what you got to do. So we got a jam-packed one. We're going to talk about uh, the pay-per-view last weekend, uh, you know, Clash of Champions. We're going to talk about AEW. We're going to talk about NXT and their war. And then, uh, yeah. We have a couple news items, and we'll get into that right now. So our first news item to go over real quick is this unfortunate situation me and Chris were talking about right before we got on the air, and that's uh, what's going on with Tegan Knox. So they released information yesterday uh, from WWE saying that she had tore her ACL, which this will be the third time. Um, while rehabbing it so this was you know not not from a match they blamed it obviously for the incident with candace from last week but uh man i just this sucks and uh i really like tegan Knox. i think she's a great baby face i think she shows intensity you know me and chris joke about you know how she should be banned from the ring for her knee brace uh being so you know 
being made out of metal and and doing the the move that she does, the uh, shining wizard, but or the shiniest wizard, I should say. But I really like Tegan as a performer. When this happened during the May Young tournament, it was terrible. And then when it happened a year later, or however you know longer later, very unfortunate too. And now they're saying nine months uh, minimal. But the question is, and I, 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 you know, I hate to do this and propose a question, but it's on everyone's mind: is that you know three major injuries, same area, tearing your ACL. <laughs> Is that something that anyone can really come back from, or is I'm not I, I fucking hate the term at, at, you know injury prone because I know that's like a big thing with Vince, but more so should this person put that much more stress on that body part, or is this going to affect their life period going forward? So Tegan's only I think 22, 23. It's really unfortunate news, and I hope that she she does what she wants. I hope she gets in great shape and, and everything heals up and she goes back to wrestling. I just, that's not good to hear about at all and just not good to be in that position. So, uh, Chris, what do you think? If it was any other professional sport or professional athlete in a sport, this would pretty much be an ender of a career. Uh, that being said, it's wrestling, so maybe there's ways that she can find new ways to work around it once she comes back. The injury itself, like like you said and, and like we've heard, came from rehab. So it seems like that the last surgery that she had didn't heal properly. Um, so it just re-aggravated an old injury. But that being said, I mean, there's no fix. You're going to go back in for surgery, usually six to nine months. Um, ACLs are... Any football fans out there will know. Uh, in some sports, if you get an ACL injury, that's pretty much almost career-ending. Obviously, the surgery's gotten a lot better over the years. But uh, this is the third time. The third time they're going to have to go in and try to clean this thing up. So, at the very least, I don't know. Even if she's able to come back, I don't know what that's going to look like. I would assume there's ways that you could change your style. Um, and, and she's a phenomenal athlete in the ring so there's maybe ways that she could work around it but it doesn't look good for sure and and originally going into this week a lot of people uh, even myself had questions on well, what what are they really gonna what are they really doing with this because we didn't see her get hurt in an actual match or yeah so that's like the craziest part about it um but coming from dave Meltzer earlier this week uh, seems like she heard it in actual rehab, which is just rehabbing the knee itself, physical therapy, trying to get the thing stronger, and something popped or didn't go right, and they re-examined it, and she has a torn ACL. At least that is what we have up to date on this, and it's very unfortunate. Like Tegan Knox, going to miss making shiniest wizard jokes. Um, <laughs> it is funny to call it the shiniest wizard and then use a metal gimmick <laughs> while executing it. <laughs> I'm just saying that's very heel. Uh, that being said, Tegan Knox is a, a phenomenal professional wrestler, and it sucks that every time we get a little bit of glimpse of what she could be and seeming like she's going to have a push and a major storyline, it seems like she's derailed by this injury. And I don't want to call it injury prone. Um, it's, I mean, it's ACL. You, you never know with those things. Like as a football fan, we've seen many a players go down to this thing and never come back. Like uh, a prime example, if you're an Atlanta Falcons fan, for instance, Jamal Anderson. 
You know, he took the Falcons to the Super Bowl, had a great season, tore his ACL the next season, and never was the same person, never really came back. So it's, uh, like I said, the surgery's obviously gotten a lot better over the years, but three times, that's a lot. I'm not going to say she's never going to wrestle again, but I would assume that she's definitely going to have to change her style of wrestling and try to work around this um, if she's able to go through the surgery and the doctor gives her the okay. Yeah, man. Unfortunate. Uh, I looked up her age. So she's 25, but still, I mean, extremely young, which is a good thing and a bad thing. A uh, good thing in the sense of she has a lot you know, more time ahead of her, but also a bad thing that we're starting with three major industries that young uh, going into the future. So it's it's a it's catch-22 in a way. But, um, yeah, I think that, you know, Chris agrees with me. We just hope that uh, Tegan gets better and does what she wants and what the, what she has to do, I guess. Um, it's out of our hands, right? Agreed. And I'm definitely sending, you know, well wishes and, and good vibes. Hopefully she's able to heal up okay. Being that young in the wrestling industry and just basically now making it to a top show, there's not a lot of money to fall back on. This isn't like, you know, Daniel Bryan with his neck injury or uh, some of the things we've seen with Edge in the past. Like, this is a fairly young professional athlete uh, who's dedicated their lives to wrestling. It's a little bit of a hard road. So hopefully she's able to recover and we'll get to see her in a main event in the next year or so. Agreed. All right. Uh, crazy news. Um, and I've been enjoying, I'm a little bit behind admittedly uh, with the G1 tournament. I got to go back and watch some of the, I, I usually watch the last hours, see like the main event and the match before that. And then if I'm told hollered at, if you will, uh, about something else, I go back and watch uh, that said match. But related to New Japan, um, <laughs> the fucking president and CEO of New Japan, Harold May, um, Swedish, uh, you know, entertainment uh, person, and uh, he's been the CEO for a good while now. Um, I'm pretty sure he was involved with the expansion to the U.S., and I'm pretty sure from what I've heard, I haven't heard... Maybe you heard some more stuff from Dave about this, who would know probably the best details, I would think, um, out of most. But from what I hear, he's kind of the one that Kenny, the Bucks, a lot of those people who they specifically kind of one of the main people they burned uh, and also had a lot of, um, I guess, animosity towards AEW a bit, which is understandable. New Japan was trying to make an American market. They were definitely becoming more and more popular. A lot of their superstars branched off, and they already started promoting you know, the show that they had at Madison Square Garden that got sold out for a lot of stuff, and then all the problems with Ring of Honor. And then they kind of just, you know, they're, they've been more back there. They obviously have their dojo in L.A., uh, building talent um, over here. Uh, but it's, it's, it's different. They were really trying to expand more, you know, over here, and... It seemed like when Kenny and the Bucks and Cody and a lot of those guys left, uh, and <laughs> if you think about it, five more years before that, and you had, and within a duration of time, Finn Balor and then AJ Styles, Shinsuke Nakamura, and, Car- and uh, Gallows and Anderson leaving. So I don't blame them to, if, if there was animosity for anyone at New Japan for the gaijin talent kind of just up and leaving. But I understand, obviously, for, for both uh, who I was talking about in the past with the WWE guys, 
who some of them don't work with WWE, but I'm not going there um, anymore. Uh, and also with the AEW guys. Basically, this news is kind of seems out of nowhere. He resigns next month completely. That's when his uh, he'll I, someone else is taken over. Basically, um, I'll ask you a second question after we just talk about the initial concept uh, itself. Uh, what do you have to say about Chris? I mean, I think there's a couple of factors. Well, there's multiple factors that go into this. One is COVID, um, from what I hear. And New Japan was scheduled to make $200 million this year. Obviously, with their live shows being shut down for you know three to four months, coming back and then doing half of what their normal revenue would be. Um, you look around, and who has the biggest contract? Your president. I mean, apparently he was getting paid very well. That's someone that you can cut. Um, and if that means keeping some of your wrestlers who you don't want to go elsewhere, sometimes that decision has to be made. You also go back to the TV deal. So they lost their American TV on Access Network after, was it Sinclair Broadcasting? Yep. Purchased uh, Access from, or I, I guess they purchased Access from, uh, who's the... Dallas Mavericks owner, I can't think of his name, Mark Cuban, yep. uh, which which they made the decision not to work with Impact. I think the caveat to keep their TV deal was, hey, if, you, if you're willing to work with Impact, we're willing to give you a time slot on TV. That's a decision they made, so they couldn't even run old stuff in the American market. Um, you look at all of the American stars they have, and I would say one of the biggest stars they've ever had as far as an American goes, maybe outside of like Stan Hansen or or Funk or Vader, uh, Kenny Omega. He's one of their biggest guys. Uh, Young Bucks as well, as far as drawing in American viewers. I don't think that helped. So, I mean, there's a bunch of factors to it. I don't know that it's one set thing. And uh, I don't know that, I mean, as far as the product itself, unless a new president comes in and fires the entire booking committee or anything, I don't think it's going to have a hard hit there. But you could see a directional shift, especially with what they've been trying to do in America. Um, but, yeah, I mean, my, my overall feelings is this is one, a way to cut money um, to keep wrestlers signed on. Uh, the other thought would be, you know, he there's some missteps there. I know that they didn't want to work with Impact, but was it worth losing all of your TV in the United States if you plan on making a push in the United States? Um, not trying to work out with some, some deal with AEW, I think was not, is something you could look at and go, well, that probably cost them some money, especially during COVID when one company is able to run shows and the other one's not. So there's, uh, there's a bunch of pitfalls. I don't think it's one thing. It's probably a multitude of things, essentially. No, and, and I agree with you. It definitely has to be multiple things. I guess now, you know, and, and I listened to this. I forgot what the name of the YouTuber is, and I feel bad. Um, but I, he keeps up with, with New Japan. That's his main thing, and Japanese wrestling in general. Um, so I usually go to him for updates. And he was talking about, you know, uh, Mr. May as basically kind of what I was I was saying beforehand, kind of being one of the guys that didn't want to, and I think you were alluding to too, didn't really want to have anything to do with AEW. And 
you know, if you if you can look at a sense of any person in power of a company, including him, with what happened, you know, they 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 left, but they were going off to do something that they could contribute to wrestling themselves with talking about the Bucks and and Kenny. But if there was tension there, also uh, the reason why they haven't done anything with All Japan, and that option's been out there, but apparently he was kind of nixing that on the butt. Um, you know, in the future, one when, when everything obviously is a lot different because of the uh, pandemic and, and everything, um, could this now be a turning period where New Japan could interact with AEW? I know that they have a deal with ROH, and it's it's still I've never heard the full details, you know, in that deal. Uh, but I don't even think they've interacted in a while. And I know that they've been pissed off with them since the uh, Master Square Garden stuff, having Enzo come out in that match and whatnot. Um, but do you think that there's possibilities basically for New Japan maybe working with All Japan over in Japan or working with AEW over here in the future? I think there's always a potential for them and AEW to work together. I think one thing they would need to do is dial back what they're trying to do in America with Ring of Honor and maybe even some of the house show type stuff that they're doing, uh, maybe going to three or four American events that are very large and bringing in talent would be helpful. Uh, trying to think of some other things. I mean, obviously they need American TV. They need to get back. I mean, if they're still going to plan that, they don't necessarily have to. They could just relegate back to Japan. Working with all Japan, I don't know how much profit that is is there for them to do that. Honestly, I don't know how big New Japan is in in Japan right now. Um, But I think fans would love to see it. I think Japanese wrestling fans would love to see that. Uh, The biggest thing is right now with the way things have went, I mean, the Ring of Honor partnership hasn't worked because Ring of Honor was off until two weeks ago or three weeks ago. So there was no partner for them to work with during this pandemic, really. I mean, there's just a lot of things that are that are up in the air. Um, I know one of the reasons they brought him in was expansion of merchandise, toys, etc. Apparently, one of the reasons they brought him in is because he had all these connections with all of these different ways to advertise and market and sell merch. And New Japan flourished up until the pandemic. I don't think they had that strong of a year last year after losing all that talent. But an argument could be made, like if you go back the past two or three years, um, they were doing really, really well (laughs) until losing the TV and the pandemic. So I don't know what, I mean, to me, the the thing about AEW is if you don't have an American televised show, you're not direct competition to them. So there's no reason not to work with them. One, it's going to bring more attention to your product. Uh, It's going to help AEW. But if the idea is you're going to start doing televised shows each week and pushing in that manner, then, you know, even from Tony Khan's standpoint, you're becoming a sort of competition. And how much how much effort do you want to do to put someone over on your show if they have a separate TV show? So that's where it gets a little bit weird. And you also don't want TK himself to be in a vicinity that close to Okada because then he might write the amount of zeros that he would uh, take to persuade Okada to come over to AEW and 
New Japan would that wouldn't be a good idea for them, basically. And, and like we said when we first started talking about this, as far as who they could work with, I still don't understand why. If you don't want to work with AEW, why didn't you hash something out with NXT? I don't know, man. I thought, you know, well, apparently I sh- I shouldn't say that because I don't I wasn't even watching at the time. But from what I hear, there was a little bit of an olive branch with that Jushin Liger. Um, God damn it. Uh, Tyler Breeze match a long time ago, but nothing came from it. I think Finn was trying to work something out. Yeah, and there was a bunch of Japanese. I mean, WWE was trying to get into the Japanese market. I think at one point they even tried to purchase All Japan. All Japan, yep. So, and pro wrestling, <laughs> Noah. <laughs> there's things that they could do. I mean, the the one thing, like, if you look at what the NXT, uh, WWE UK NXT has done, you just have to be very careful because it's WWE. So I understand yep. that. But if, if you want to send talent somewhere and AEW doesn't want to play ball, well, NXT's losing week to week. Uh, if Okada wants to show up and fucking go against Finn Balor, then, <laughs> like, yeah. might, might be a good deal for both companies, even if it's a short-term thing. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that they could do. I, I just don't think there's – I mean, obviously – if the projection was $200 million and you lose six months of your year, essentially, people are going to get laid off. That's just how business works. And, uh, you know, at least they started from the top as opposed to the bottom. A bunch of young lions and other people getting released. Basically the opposite of what WWE would have done. What are you talking about? Yeah, I I agree with you. Just an interesting situation. Um, well, not that this guy's resigning, but you know, you know what I'm saying? Just the, the future seems questionable, but in the good direction, basically with new Japan. So let's see what happens past that. Let's go to the next, uh, news item, some information from James storm, who is uh, doing an interview. And not only is he officially not with the NWA, uh, apparently he hasn't been in a minute. Um, I don't know if he was one of the, the main guys that, uh, you know, uh, talked initially to um, NWA and asked if they could be released because they were releasing people based on that because they wanted them to go and get, you know, <laughs> jobs and stuff like that if they had to, if to get out of their contract. But uh, James, um, he was uh, talking with Ryan Satin, and he said in the interview that I got home and I see I got an email from... Uh, the dude saying that Paul Heyman wants me to reach out and bring bring him to Raw. I was like, wait, I think Bobby's on Raw. Hmm, this could be interesting, you know? And he goes on just, just talking about the situation. And he said that we agreed on all terms, he added. Uh, it was signed. Um, unfortunately, as the time approached, he was told they'd have to put things on hold because of the virus. Because this, this happened literally right before the pandemic hit. Uh, that continued all the way up until July when he last spoke with the people in WWE. And Storm isn't letting the situation get to uh, get him down as he remains hopeful for another opportunity. Could be along down the line. Uh, you just have to take it and keep rolling, he said. It's not their fault. It's just how everything is right now. So, well, unless James Storm's full of shit. I'm, I'm assuming that, you know, good old boy, he's, he, he's probably not full of shit. James Storm was about to come to Raw and the place where Bobby Roode is on. And 
Obviously, we know the tag division is abysmal, and if that were to happen, I'd way rather James show up on NXT and revitalize that tag division and Bobby Roode go back on that, and that's how they hook back up. But just the the concept that he um, he was this close to coming to WWE, we've seen him in pictures in the past at WWE events, talking to people when he was transitioning between TNA to NWA. It looks like this kind of caused it to stop, obviously, if they... I mean, they shouldn't let go to anyone, but they end up let going of a bunch of people, not going to hire new people is essentially what it is. And obviously this was more of like a, he didn't sign any contracts. It sounds like uh, Chris, the prospect that not only is James storm, you know, not in NWA. So potential with impact potential with AEW, but the fact that WWE really was interested in him, uh, at least Paul, Mah- Paul Heyman, who's not really leading raw anymore. Uh, but he almost started up, and then the pandemic happened. Really sucks. Uh, well, what do you have to say about it? I mean, the weirdest thing is the NWA contract. What was happening with that before the pandemic? Um, but, I mean, if he was talking with Paul, I, I would assume that Paul would love to get beer money back together and have an old-school tag team, especially knowing that you're losing FTR. You have someone to bring in to be top heel tag team. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. That seems a very Paul Heyman move, but Paul Heyman also went out of power with all of these firings. Yep. So I, I would assume anything like that would be on the back burner, unless, like you said, they find a way to bring him into NXT. But uh, are they going to pay him what he wants to make? Do they have something for him to do? Those are all things that are up in the air. Uh, I tend to believe James Storm in this situation because WWE was signing up everyone they could. Before, before the pandemic <laughs> hit. <laughs> so, before the pandemic hit, we had like what ten contract signings in WWE. So, <laughs> what a few. It's it's, uh, it's not surprising that they at least offered him an offer, especially with Bobby Roode, like you said, being there, not really having much to do, and Paul Heyman being in charge. But uh, yeah, I don't know James Storm's future. Depends on what WWE looks like, I guess. I, I could easily see him going back there. I would hope, uh, as a final thought, basically, that either the NXT situation, because they're not doing... I mean, Bobby had a great match with Drew McIntyre on Monday. I'll, I'll give it that, but we all knew he was going to lose. Um, so to have him a part of NXT, have James come in like that, they already have a couple good tag teams. They just need more. You know, eventually we can get Mustache Mountain to make an appearance again. You know, Undisputed Era, there's still a couple tag teams. They used to have a great tag division is what I'm saying, and NXT has been depleted since then, uh, pulling up people, a lot of not needed uh, with the tag teams or or wrestlers in general from Raw or SmackDown. But what are you going to do? If that's not it, James Storm showing back up on Impact and fucking creating some ruckus over there, it seems pretty, like, uh, you know, fitting for him and they've been doing a way better product than I, they have in a long time. I've enjoyed their stuff and he would be a great contribution back on the product. Um, yeah, but anyways, I guess, uh, let's start talking about some of this stuff. Some of these, uh, these, these great things. Let's talk about clash of champions. Chris, I got to say, there were some matches that were so abysmal to me, uh, mostly tag or, unfortunately, the women's championship situations. But I really liked, like, especially three matches on here were a lot of fun, fun stories, 
Um, and I've been impressed. The WWE's pay-per-views, for the most part, I mean, they have some dips, obviously. You know, you're gonna, that's going to happen. But they've been pretty good. It's pretty steady uh, lately. That's like the worst way to put it. But you know what I'm trying to say, I guess. Unless you disagree with me. If that's the case, tell me I'm an asshole and punch me in the stomach. We're going off of uh, Clash of Champions and what was the previous one? God, Backlash? I think so. I think both of the pay-per-views have been pretty good. There's definitely stuff I didn't like on either, but they're, you know, as far as their heavyweight picture goes and maybe the IC picture, I think they've done a pretty decent job of putting on good shows. And also they're not like a bazillion hours long anymore. That goes a long (laughs) way in my book. (laughs) Yeah. Oh Lord. But yeah, I I think for the most part uh, I did, I did enjoy some of the matches on clash of champions. So we'll, we'll get right into it. Um, the first match was good, but I knew what was going to happen. It was uh, just kind of duh. Well, for one thing, which I should note that uh, they were supposed to have uh, Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax go against. You know what? I don't remember who the heck they were supposed to go against. Uh, I think Liv Morgan and Ruby Riot, if I wasn't wrong, but they took that off. I think because one of them, or maybe more. We're part of that second COVID outbreak, the reason why they're not doing audience members in NXT and stuff. So uh, they had to cancel that last minute. Uh, that's the reason why last week, if anyone's wondering why they they did that weird fucking tag thing on NXT, um, and Fandango was Sherlock Holmes and couldn't explain shit worth of crap, just like Tully Blanchard um, with the, uh, the the 20-minute tag matches. Anyways. Uh, that's, that's, that's what happened. There was a COVID outbreak, a small one that happened and a couple people had to be taken out of the, the event and have been isolated and whatnot. So, um, getting back to it, sorry, I don't even remember where I was going with that. Uh, Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura, Lucha House Party, decent match. It's, it's on the kickoff. It was about a 10 minute match. Pretty good. But like I said, you knew that <laughs> Kaliso and, and Lindsay Dorado were going to lose and, I mean, it's a mini storyline that no one cares about, but Kalisto's obviously having problems with Lindsay Dorado, so the fact that he took the pin after winning, I think, the sec- the time before that, I don't know. I don't really care. Uh, I just feel bad for Shinsuke and, and Cesaro like normal. Uh, how do you feel, Chris? It's kind of a weird match because they didn't give you a payoff for the Lucha House Party storyline, which means you have to assume it continues. They played into it several times in the match, where you would have Sheamus or Cesaro take out the partner going for the tag so that there was no one ever to tag to. Um, But then it was just a straight whipping and nothing happened. So I guess we continue the storyline from there. I mean, it was fine for an opening match. As far as that, the women's tag match thing. Oh yeah, that's what it was. Um, I don't know. That whole thing's weird because Triple H was talking about how some of the wrestlers had had a party and, uh, some people are not treating COVID. They don't see it as a threat anymore. I don't know if you heard that. No, I would not that. admit that either if I was Triple H, since I'm one of the guys in charge of the, uh, the company. So I think this came from one of the conference calls recently. Uh, oh, I heard about I... it today on Wrestling Observer Live. But yeah, apparently there was uh, that's where some of this COVID outbreak may have sprung from, um, which is not great for the company so them kiboshing that match i mean either way they're not taking the belts off Shayna and naya to put them on 
whoever the hell they were facing, whether it was the riot squad or, uh, God, I guess Natalia and <laughs> Lana. I mean, either way, I didn't see them taking the titles off. So I don't think we missed anything there. They gave us a little bit more with the Sheamus uh, and Nakamura match, even though it was pretty much a squash match. Honestly. Yep. yep. Uh, but whatever. Let's go to the start of the actual event itself. And probably, I mean, I think the last match might be my favorite match. But if, if this is probably two for me. Um, Sami Zayn, Jeff Hardy, AJ Styles. You knew this was going to be a crazy-ass fucking match. You knew that people were going to get fucked up. Sammy was going to hit a lot of ladders on his back, probably go through one, and what she did with Jeff Hardy with that awesome uh, swanton bomb off the top of that. Jeff's fucking crazy. Um, just really an awesome ladder match, and some of the things I didn't know, and maybe they were trying to go for this, or maybe they just went with accidents, but there was a couple times where I thought there were botches, one of them in particular when Sammy was going up the ladder, Jeff Hardy went to do a springboard, but it looked like AJ, or he, I don't know if he was doing a springboard. He, he went after Sammy, basically. And AJ looked like he was about to do the the uh, phenomenal forearm to Sammy, but the ladder fell and just nailed AJ right the fuck in the head, stopped him. And then there was another time where Sammy and Jeff Hardy were going up the ladder, and Sammy got down to or got knocked towards the bottom and started picking up the ladder and knocked Jeff. And ladder went with him, and they went over the fucking rope. And then, after he already gotten scissored by the damn ladder at the beginning of the match, the ladder just folded up on his ass again. It was nuts. And then Sammy, obviously, at the end, pulling out the fucking you know handcuffs and handcuffing Jeff Hardy's ear. Who's got an ear fetish in WWE? Jesus Christ! Handcuffing his ear to a ladder and handcuffing AJ to him. And then just the transition of Jeff finally getting the ring, AJ having, you know, more of a dispute, not paying attention to Sammy. Sammy getting the fucking the key, undoing the thing, uh, putting AJ onto the ladder and then getting the ladder or getting the, uh, the the two icy belts. And Sammy officially is back as the Intercontinental Champion. And I love it. I thought it was a great fucking match. Uh, very innovative. Like I said, if those if some of those spots were botched, Kudos on taking advantage of a bad situation because Jeff kind of threw his fucking body with that ladder to tumble over the ropes into the outside with him attached to it, basically. And, you know, I if they weren't, great innovation. So it works either way. You know, I just thought that it was a ladder match, but they did a lot of stuff that I haven't seen done in a ladder match and made me go, huh, that's cool. And that's what I really like is just having that feeling. What do you think, Chris? I like the ladder match a lot. I think it did not help uh, the rest of the show by going first. Nope. <laughs> this show was bookends by good stuff, I would say. Uh, I love, I don't know who came up with it, whether it was Jeff or Sammy. I like the handcuffing the ear and Jeff just having to carry the ladder around with him <laughs> for the match. Like, that was pretty fucking unique. I'd never seen anything like that. I thought that was cool. Uh, the one spot you're talking about where Jeff went ass over tea kettle over the ropes, uh, that seemed like a botch to me just because of the bump Jeff took. I don't know how he lived, but it's Jeff Hardy. He falls off shit really well. <laughs> and uh, it yeah, does. it was cool to see Sami Zayn get a win. I like the new Sami Zayn. 
I thought that was I this was a fun fucking match. Definitely worth a watch if you didn't watch the pay-per-view. Yeah, really good shit, man. I love all three of those also, guys. Uh, I was just going to say, also, does AJ only wear the red tights during ladder matches? Is that like his lucky ladder color? Because they, showed... <laughs> they showed like a clip from Money in the Bank or something, and he had the same <laughs> like gear on. I was like, huh, maybe that's like his lucky color or some shit going into the match where these guys are going to fly off ladders repeatedly. I will say that AJ did not take any of the crazy bumps that Sammy and Jeff did. Which yeah, is I to expected be ex- that. Yeah, I also expected that. Um, the the pre-warm-up where you're showing things that Jeff Hardy has done in ladder matches, showing the WrestleMania spot was like one of the weaker spots you could have done. Same thing with Sammy and AJ. Yep. Like AJ's was just tilting someone off a ladder. So I thought the, like, yeah, normally I praise the video packages leading into the match, but they could have done a little bit more to hype you up for the match. But then again, it is Jeff Hardy, Sammy Zayn, and AJ Styles. So the names themselves... Should have had most fans excited. I agree. I agree, for sure. Um, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Just because I, I honestly think that for the most part, the the next four matches, it, it's like if if you reverse the sandwich, like if you had like a burger, and then the bun in between, and then another burger. Uh, that to me is what this pay per view was, uh, and. Some of the matches weren't as good, but like, I mean, they ripped my fucking heart out with that triple threat, and a lot of the other stuff just couldn't, uh, you know, come up to that level until we got a little bit later on the pay per view. So I'm going to group some of these together, is what I'm trying to say. Oscar um, went against Selena Vega and defeated defeated her in submission. It's a match that was very predictable, obviously, but Selena Vega, I'm glad that she got a chance to show off. I thought she did really good. Um, obviously, she doesn't. I mean, she's probably kept up in the ring herself, but they don't use her in that aspect. So she is a wrestler. So in that sense, there was some greenness, obviously, with her. But Asuka's a good person to bounce off of. I thought the match was fine, um, and they would do it again on Raw. We won't talk about that. Uh, But, yeah, I I also thought that Bobby Lashley's match that he had with um, Apollo Crews, that was a really good fucking match, too. Um, Bobby Lashley ended up getting the win. But once again, very predictable uh, and I was kind of, like I said, sucked dry after the ladder match. What do you think about either one of those matches? Well, the Asuka match is only predictable because they don't do a good job of telling us that Selena Vega is a wrestler as well as of a manager. Yep. So we've only seen her as a wrestler, or as a manager, I should say. And as a manager who doesn't really do anything except for Hurricane Rana every once in a while. So it's... It was kind of predictable. I didn't think Zelina Vega was going to be Asuka, but then again, who's going to be Asuka's opponent? Who are you going to put there? You have to have Asuka on the pay-per-view. So from that standpoint, it makes sense. Um, Angel Garza gets hurt later in the show, so I don't know what that means for Zelina or Andrade. Maybe that's good to some extent as far as their two characters go because you're going to be kind of forced to either put them together or separate them completely. Um... It was fine. It was not it it unfortunately it came right after the ladder match, so it's it's one of those things where it's it's whatever. And the Bobby Lashley uh Apollo Cruz match, it was okay. I mean it wasn't a bad match, it's just we've seen it a lot. Yep. And um there was no follow up with retribution here, which I thought was a bit weird. Yeah. 
That's and, a good point. I mean, because the big thing was they all fought Retribution headed into this pay-per-view as part of, uh, was it the Hurt 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 business? And we got none of that. And uh, Apollo Crews loses and looks like a geek again. So I don't... <laughs> I mean, he got, had some he had some offense and stuff, but there was not really there's a little bit of interference, but not enough to make it look crazy because uh, Ricochet was out there with Apollo Cruz. So uh, I I don't know what that means for those two. Maybe throw them in a tag team, see what happens. But uh, as far as the storyline with Bobby Lashley and and Apollo Cruz, I think it should be done with, and you should move forward. But both the matches were okay. If you're watching this one after one, you're going to be kind of disappointed. And uh, we didn't really talk about the Drew Gulak R-Truth thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. But that, <laughs> that, that, that was fucking kind of terrible. And uh, Akira Tozawa got eaten by a shark? Like, he's he got ate by a shark, right? <laughs> in storyline, yes, Akira Tozawa got eaten by a shark. He's still in a ninja outfit. And I'm pretty sure he speaks perfect English. Um, yeah, and Drew Gulak, yeah, he was a fake ninja and tricked our truth. So the only he, thing that, was... that that's good with this stuff that recovers it is our truth and his reactions and some of the shit that he says. But yeah, it's pretty abysmal. I forgot about it. I, I, this one wasn't even savable by our truth because it's on the back of a man getting eaten by a shark. <laughs> So <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Uh, and also, Drew Gulak held that title for exactly one hour. Shouldn't be happy he has that title, anyways. <laughs> one point in time, he was fighting Daniel Bryan. What happened? Yeah. Exactly. At one point in time, I thought we were going to get a really badass tag team between Daniel Bryan and uh, Drew Gulak doing cool shit together. And uh, no, apparently not. Well, maybe for his sake, especially uh, after he gets back from paternity leave or, and whatnot, you know, Daniel will get in a tag team with them. But then again, he was out before that because of COVID. So who knows? Just keep on hoping and praying, Drew. Uh, the one thing that Drew has going for him, though, is he's very entertaining. And if they let him tap more into that, like when he's doing the PowerPoint presentations, you know, uh, there's stuff to do with Drew Gulak. I just hope it's not just the 24-7 title. <sighs> Here's an idea of something you could do with Drew Gulak instead of having him in the 24-7 title picture. Raw Underground? Uh, there's... <laughs> no, there's a guy named Timothy Thatcher that you could easily throw him in a tag team with. Oh my god, they would be awesome together. Call it call it fuck the top rope. Like this is making an accident <laughs> or something. Yeah. <laughs> FTR. <laughs> What's the top rope? You want the new? You want your own FTR? Here you go. Um, God. No, I mean the reason I say that is because uh, Timothy Thatcher's kind of stuck in a spot where he's lost to a lot of people now that are top names. Throw him in a tag team with Drew Gulak. It's gonna be some good ass wrestling. Oh man, I, now I want that. And then if they, oh, that's actually something I completely forgot that happened. Uh, I guess it's a weird transition into it. We could have a tag team against them, and it can be the bros, and it can be Matt Riddle, and the now, you know, officially out of impact, Rob Van Dam, maybe. The bros. Bro dude. I I really don't I really don't wish that on Matt Riddle. Nothing against R V D, but 
knowing how RVD has been treated by uh, WWE the last couple runs he's had, I would, if I'm Matt Riddle, I'd try to stay the fuck away from that situation. It's a good point. Good point. Um, yeah, well, maybe he could become the Matt Riddle that for NXT that they lost. Anyways, I'm just kidding. I love our <laughs> 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 Rob, I don't know, maybe he'll show up. Uh, maybe he'll show up on a uh, on a limited contract with with uh, AEW and just go against Jericho because that's what everybody does. Just yeah. throw me, throw him against fucking Jericho. Why not? I don't know. I don't think he's underneath enough to go against Jericho now. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. So these next two matches as well, the other tag uh, championship match for the Raw tag team uh we had again we were talking about repetitive stuff street profits against andrade and angel garza this was a good match we've seen it a million fucking times the thing that sucks about it is that angel garza got injured at the end of it and apparently that didn't get relayed well between andrade and the referee so they had that goofy fucking ending god damn and now angel is out we don't know how long he's out. We don't even know what exactly uh, he injured. Well, at least I don't. Um, I think that they're being hushed on that unless they release it recently, but fucking sucks. Street Profits won. I mean, maybe this was supposed to go on Angel Andrade this time, and that was going to be something they were going to do. Now that Selena like, left, they got, the, they got the fucking tag titles and got along. Maybe that was supposed to be the outcome of the match, but they had to pull an audible and... Uh, Go with what where, or where they went, but I, obviously there was some communication error between Andrade and and Angelo and the referee, so that's why we got the weird fucking ending. But just unfortunate. Uh, what do you think, Chris? Yeah, per Dave Meltzer, so take this for what it is. Uh, the titles were never going to change here. Okay, which which to me makes a little bit of sense. They would just stay on the Street Profits, and then they find someone for Street Profits to go against. I guess, or that you continue the feud. Angel getting hurt will cause the ending to be a clusterfuck. And the worst part, like you said, is they didn't clue the announcers in. They were not aware. So <laughs> the ending was very much like, is that two count? Okay, that's not two count. Uh, the best thing they could do out of this is Dawkins should have the best spine buster in the, bu- the business. And that's how he starts getting wins, is just via that spine buster. <laughs> At least that's a good he's, idea. He's tight. Like, fuck it. You know his new move? Spinebuster. Because <laughs> that's essentially. Man, I learned this from Double A. Yeah, he, essentially, he just hits a Spinebuster, gets the pin, and uh, they say the ref fucked up. But I don't know why they went that route because uh, Angel is gone. So Andrade has no tag team partner, so there is no rematch. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. It was it, This match was fine, not one of their better tag team matches, and definitely hurt by the finish. Absolutely. All right, Oscar went against Bailey because Bailey was supposed to go against Nikki Cross, but she was involved, like I said, with that whole COVID thing. Um, so they had what I would have done basically instead of having Bailey and Oscar have a match, which we've seen before, even though they've put on two great matches, I think. Uh, they have really good chemistry together. Um, but it was just unneeded. You know, you just have the DQ in the middle of it. If you're going to get to that part where Sasha comes out and attacks Bailey, which to me was 
way too early. You could have waited. I knew they couldn't handle themselves, this shit. Let stuff grow. Get tension there. Let people forget about Sasha maybe for a split second, and then she comes and fucks up Bailey. But I digress. Uh, with with the concept of having Oscar, I would have had Bailey just gone out there, hit a promo, really drive it in, and then had Oscar come out there, or not Oscar, uh, Sasha come out behind her. They, you didn't even need a match. You could have like extended other people's matches. It just seemed really pointless to me. I know it's Clash of Champions, but who gives a fuck? What do you think, Chris? There's a bunch of different things that I could have came up with for this. You could have announced a, a, a mystery opponent, had Asuka come out, and then just had Bailey no-show the match. Because a DQ finish is a DQ finish. You're still champion. Um, you're going to introduce Bailey after this match, this two-minute. I mean, this was a two-minute DQ. So the match was meaningless. And then you just bring Sasha out anyways. Um, why? I guess would be the question. <laughs> I feel like that's a, you know, that's a waste of bringing someone back. Um, you could have just done Sasha versus Bailey, I guess, unless Sasha is legit hurt, which it doesn't seem to be the case. Uh, I don't know. There's a lot of different things that you could have done here other than Bailey. I mean, I guess she came out as a chicken shit hill to, you know, announce a match that was never planned on happening and then Oscar accepting who had a match earlier in the night. But Oscar's match earlier in the night was not like a, a no DQ match or something that she would have been completely exhausted from, especially in the current state of WWE, where we've had women champions wrestle two times in a row recently. Uh, so, yeah. I don't know. The entire thing's fucking weird and kind of a waste of Sasha's return. I think Sasha did the best with what she was given. I think she did a good job selling the neck injury while trying to fight with it. But um, I don't know. I mean, it's a setup for her and Bailey at Hell in a Cell, I guess. Yep. I just, like I said, I mean, they could have, they could have fucking held off at least until Survivor Series to build this shit for the two of them scoring down. Like, God damn, I would have fucking done it to the Royal Rumble. I know that sucks for Sasha, obviously, to be out that long, but I mean. God, fucking. I mean, or just pick you know someone. What, you know what the funny thing is? Is that beforehand I was complaining that this, this is going too long to get to there. But now that I'm here, I don't want to fucking rush the goddamn ending. You know what I'm saying? Like, Well, I mean, I don't think you could have just done the surprise Bailey and, and you could have done Sasha coming out to accept the open challenge and her just not being able to win the match because she was hurt. And do a ref stoppage. I mean, like I said, there's a bazillion different things you could have done other than what they decided. I mean, one of the things you could have done is actually pick a female character off of SmackDown who's not Nikki Cross for the match and still done the two-minute thing as opposed to having Asuka yeah, get like, whacked with a chair. Lacey Evans couldn't fucking come out there? <laughs> like, <She's laughs> Naomi. <on SmackDown. laughs> Naomi. Yeah, where the fuck has Naomi been? <laughs> God, that drives me crazy. I mean, it's just weird. Uh, I mean, unless there's a lot of other people that may have had contact with COVID that we're not aware of, it was just weird to send Asuka back out there again to do a two-minute DQ only to have Sasha return. That's some shit I expect on Monday Night Raw. Anyways, next match, kind of controversial to wrestling fans. Some of them didn't like the outcome, but we'll, we'll get into it. I really liked this match. I thought it was a lot of fun. And I actually like the story they told, because uh, Drew McIntyre went against Randy Orton. 
As far as an ambulance match, I think they went a little bit above and beyond. They fucking went all over the goddamn arena, uh, had a really good, vicious match back and forth. I don't think it was too slow and methodical either, and I know that both these guys, especially Randy, that can happen, but uh, it really seemed like Drew was... When Drew... (laughs) What was it? A couple weeks ago, he fucking knocked Randy on the uh, ring, and Randy's just selling it like a motherfucker, and he comes up to him, and he goes... He goes, I'm going to be in your nightmares, you son of a bitch. Like, he's an intense dude, man. He's scary. And, you know, he was stalking Randy and stuff like that. But the big thing that I, that is where the controversy is, if, 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 if you will, um, is the fact that the other wrestlers that Randy Orton has fucked up as of recently. And I, I don't like what they do with them on Monday Night Raw, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about at least on Clash of Champions. Big Show grabs his leg, pulls his ass outside. Uh, later on, Christian annihilates him uh, when they're over near the catering area backstage, throws him into some tables, just beats the living hell out of him. Um, later on, Shawn Michaels would even get involved. Uh, you know, after he pushed Drew McIntyre off the uh, a- ambulance, he uh, super kicked him and he fell uh, in a little... Uh, one of those blow-up areas with some of that, that that wood that just breaks real easy. I don't know what the fuck it's called. Prop wood. There you go. Um, and then, obviously, at the end, Ric Flair drives the ambulance. Why the fuck are you letting Ric Flair drive an ambulance where the, the goddamn windshield has been bashed in? Um, uh, you know, drives him out of there. So there was a lot of interference, and Randy got, you know, beaten because of that. I think that was the point of the story. Obviously, they're going with this until Hell in the Cell you're going to put the two of them in a hell in the cell. So what I thought was, I thought the match was really creative. I like the story of all of Randy's ghosts, all of the ones that has been haunting him, that he fucking caused, are back to fuck him up. And I, I just liked, I, I liked the match. I thought it was a lot of fun, especially for, you do a lot of those backstage matches, you know, going around the arena. It can get so boring and stupid, but they did some creative stuff. And my lord, I, I don't know if it was a DDT. No, I don't think it was a DDT. I think it was a fucking backdrop. But when Randy backdrop suplexed Drew McIntyre through the windshield and Drew hit with his fucking head, that looked pretty goddamn gnarly. They both got smashed up. We've seen a lot of windshields fucked up between Biggie going through one and the parking lot brawl and and then Biggie putting that one one dude that stooged him. Uh, through another one, and now this, you know, I don't know what the hell the deal is against windshields, but uh, apparently wrestling does not like them at all. Uh, but, yeah, fun match, crazy, bunch of stupid stuff, but still, you know, remain to be, I think, a good story, uh, and we're we're going to get more between the two of these guys. So whatever, maybe it'll be a three-way with Keith Lee if they don't just book him to hell now for no reason. What do you think, Chris? Why would why would you not just have Keith Lee there in this match? That's still I I don't know I I look I'm gonna side with the people that uh, didn't like this match honestly I, not because of what was done in the match just because you booked Randy Orton like Triple H he gets his ass kicked by the Big Show he makes a comeback gets his ass kicked by Christian makes a comeback he gets his ass kicked by Shawn Michaels makes a comeback and then he finally gets beaten by Drew McIntyre after getting launched off the fucking stage claymored and punted in the head um Drew McIntyre is the baby face in this right <laughs> yeah yeah okay. he is 
So this is not the blow-off match. They're going to do a Hell in a Cell match, right? To protect outside interference against the heel Randy Orton? Wow. Um, yeah, that, that is what they're doing, Christopher. You're very uh, right. Okay. So while there were some fun spots, I mean, it's always fun to see Sean hit a super kick and shit. Like, that's always a good time. We had an ex- one of those explodey, uh, explode mats that WWE has. I mean, it was fine. If this was the blow-off match and Randy was going to be injured for a while and then come back for vengeance, fine. But the setup is definitely hell in a cell. And like you said, I think you have to turn it into a three-way just because it looks weird otherwise. Unless you're going to put the fucking belt on Randy Orton, who just came back from getting his ass whipped by three people, four, if you include Keith Lee leading up to this match. Uh, well, <laughs> at least he had those night vision goggles on Raw where he went in that room where the legends were playing poker and beat the crap out of all of them. Uh, those were actually welding glasses, by the way. I don't know what the fuck all that why was. Did, why would he need – how are you playing poker in the dark, though? Well, he, he went in that? and shut off the lights and, you know, he had the glasses on. So he could smell of them. Beat him with a chair. They couldn't um, come up with it. Like, all right, I'm – I. <laughs> here's the easy way to fix this match and people wouldn't have been as upset retribution there you they go inter- they interfere in a high profile match then these baby faces that randy has uh slighted come out to help the imperil drew mcintyre and you still have the same spots and the same finish, but you have a reason for <laughs> these people to be fucking up Randy Orton. Because to some extent, it makes Drew McIntyre look weak. It I does. get why people might have a problem with this, and it's definitely a very Triple H ass match, where it's like, I'm going to lose, but I'm going to fucking, if I'm going to lose, I'm going to take everything under the sun to die. <laughs> you know, when you look at it that way... I, I can agree with those aspects. I still think it was a fun match for having a brawl around everywhere. Um, although the only thing to compare to that re- as of recently was Bray Wyatt and fucking um, Braun Strowman. Holy shit. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, Nothing. it just, if you're watching it as a one-off like three years from now and you don't care about the storyline, this is a fun match, but yep. knowing that this isn't the blow off, it's, it is a bit weird and heavy handed. I can agree with that for sure. All right, let's go to the final match, the main event, Roman Reigns, the tribal chief himself, uh, the universal champion going against his cousin, Jey Uso and, uh, beating him, uh, by, by his brother, Jimmy coming out, limping out and throwing in the towel on his brother. I thought this match was awesome. Uh, this is when we go to matches where it might not have been the best structured, crazy ass, technical, high flying, whatever match. You know, a good example of that is Cody's match against Aldis and Cody's match against Dustin. Uh, he's really good with these style things, but it's the storytelling within the match that's relatable. The way they pulled you in, you know, I watched also the WWE Network special, uh, that had, um, whatchamacallit, Jay, and just like um, leading up to this, uh, his whole journey with, you know, main eventing with his cousin, their actual rivalry in the past, how Roman, uh, you know, 
how he's like their older brother. Even though he was only born eight minutes earlier at Samoan culture, it's like he's still presented to be the, the, the older brother even to Jay. So Jay's always been kind of the baby to these two others. And the fact that they always talked about doing this and this happening and Jay's great in the ring. Roman's great in the ring. I don't give a fuck what the hell you want to think or try to convince yourself. That's like saying to me that, um, I don't know, uh, Robert Pattinson's a bad actor or Zac Efron's a bad actor. Uh, you know, you, that's fine. Spin it. I'm sure a lot of people say that, and that's the reason why you're saying it. That's how I feel a lot of those times. But I think Roman's awesome. And I think his storytelling in this was great. I love that it went from being kind of Roman trying to put him down real quickly so it didn't have to get bad, if you will. And then it getting in them going back and forth. You knew that Roman was going to win, but there was a couple times where Jay actually kind of made even Roman and you, or at least me, convinced that there was like a little chance. Um, and then it got aggressive and then Roman got dominant. And then Roman did what a lot of us thought he was going to do and basically pressured him. He wanted him to basically call him the tribal chief. He basically wanted him to say that he was the head of the table, that he was going to be the one that is the, the source for the whole entire, uh, NLOI family, if you will. And, he wouldn't do that, and he wouldn't tap out, and his brother ended up coming out and being like, look, man, you're the tribal chief. Like, what the hell's the matter with you? That's your cousin. There was a little bit of Eddie and, and Chavo in this for me, a lot of the stuff that they did on Nitro with the two of them, kind of that type of concept, because Eddie wasn't that much older than Chavo, but since he was the uncle, you know, even though much younger, obviously, he would have that type of power over him. Uh, Roman, this version of him, where they're going, the fact that I know that he's getting new entrance music because he said that he was, I like him wearing the the uh, the lay uh, and that being the president of the concept of the tribal chief. I think that he has come back and really shown that he's a star um, for for the WWE. I mean, the, he's the closest that they've had. They had Daniel Bryan for a split second and unfortunately injury took him away and he's been back, but... I mean, that type of level that he was at, I don't think will ever be achieved again. You can say that CM Punk kind of had it, but then he went in and out and had all of his outs with the company. Since Cena, WWE has purposely been trying to make people at a similar level so they don't have to worry about that said person going out and, you know, and leaving, and then they're, they're where they were, you know, where The Rock left or Austin left or Hulk Hogan left. You know, relying on one superstar, John Cena, obviously. So the whole concept was it's going to be the brand itself. And I don't think it's necessarily helped him, but Roman, and you can probably throw Punk or, or Daniel Bryan into that mix. He's been a big star. Even if people didn't like him, he was still selling the most merch. He was still, you know, kids loved him, uh, making the rounds, really carrying the company in a lot of ways by doing all these extra media scrums and a lot of shit all the time. And now it seems like finally, when they fucking listened, crazy, him and Paul Heyman, him presented as a heel, is going to finally get them to another level. And I just thought his shit talk to his cousin, just how serious his demeanor was, he came off like a fucking supervillain. I thought it was great. I thought that the match was great. It wasn't anything too crazy, like I said, or technical, but the storytelling 
and the aspects of, of reality itself playing into that and how it ended up going down. And I wouldn't doubt if, if still Jay and Jimmy end up like siding with Roman, if you will, and he is a tribal chief. That's what he has over them. But he's already given his credentials. Like Jay's still part, half of one of the greatest, if not the greatest, tag team in his uh, part of their generation, basically. And I would agree with that concept. So who knows, man, what, what will happen once Jimmy comes back. But um, I don't know how long, you know, he's still out for. Um, anyways, just like I said, it was it was my favorite match on the card. Thought it was really good storytelling. And I think that Roman's just on a different level than a lot of people as of right now. Uh, besides veterans yeah. still in the, in the <laughs> wrestling. Uh, but what what do you think, Chris? Yeah, surprise, motherfuckers. Roman Reigns is good. <laughs> like, basically. <laughs> I feel like we've been preaching it for years, and finally, it's like, I, he turned heel, whatever. Roman has always been good. Like you said, good storytelling in this match. Him spearing Jey Uso, kind of going for the pen and letting him go, and saying, no, nah, I want you to call me Chief. It's pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> him spearing him again, and then just going full ground and pound. And Charles Robinson teasing to stop the match. I think Charles Robinson could have done a little bit more. That'd be my only complaint. Um, Just because they do stoppages, as we've seen in the past. Uh, But Roman standing up and looking at him and saying, like, don't you fucking dare stop this match. Like, making Charles Robinson scared for his life was great heel. This is a family affair. (laughs) Yes. I think they could have done more than, like, more with that. Like, maybe Roman kills the ref. Also, um, this is great heel shit. It's a good storyline. They're doing a good job with Roman. They have made him the new Brock Lesnar. And I have to think that Paul Heyman has a lot of hands in this on how to get Roman over as a heel based on, one, the moves that they chose for Roman to do, and two, how the storyline played out. Even to the point where Paul Heyman is like, you are the chief, dude. Just stop. You're going to kill this man. And he's like, (laughs) He's like, I don't want to hear it from you. I want to hear it from him. And I love that Paul Heyman also, to an extent, he doesn't have Roman full-on grasp. Like, even, I think, more so than Brock Lesnar, almost. Which is what makes Paul great, is that he yeah. knows when to dial it back. He's like, well, fuck it, I can't tell him what to do. You saw, I tried. Which makes Paul even slimier. Because then, right after, he just starts grinning again, right? And that's just good Paul Heyman. I mean, they're it's the perfect combination. They could have done this four years ago. I know that's going to be people's main complaints. But if you're looking at storylines in WWE, this is the best thing they have told in years. Like, yeah. it is good. And if you end up making him so dominant as this tribal family that the Usos are on his side and become tag champions, it gives you a chance to do something with Bray Wyatt. Yeah. Yeah. It gives oh. you a chance to do what they actually want to do with Bray Wyatt, which is to have him a merch seller in a baby face, which I think they allude to, you know, in last week's, uh, was it last week's SmackDown, I guess? No. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Okay. Yes, because we didn't get to talk about it, but um, it seems like that might be the route they're going, and you know what? Like, fine. That's bad. <laughs> That's better than what they've had thus far. Um, I so, agree, man. I agree. Oof. Roman's cool, and uh, you know what? Down the line, you have Roman have this long heel run, and uh, you can have him versus Brock. 
with Roman as a babyface, and you can turn him back babyface, and he's going to get super over from this. And like I said, weeks and weeks ago, when they started this heel turn, you motherfuckers better not become Roman fans <laughs> after Don't this. Don't that shit, man. Because to me, <laughs> and I told you this, and I, you might think, I'm, whoever out there might think I'm crazy. To me, if you don't count like legends, uh, the three biggest companies that we have over here in America, I would say is obviously WWE, AEW, and then New Japan. I would put before a lot of other, well, at least popularity to Americans as a huge company, biggest size, if you will. They don't really have a lot of distributing, obviously, on TV, but you get my grips. Um, to me, there's like three godlike characters right now in wrestling. And two of them have kind of been simmered. I feel like Roman is now at that level that I kind of... The number one for the longest time was Okada to me. And to me, the wrestling obviously outdoes everything and puts them on that type of fucking Super Saiyan 4 level, if you will. But obviously, he's become more of like, you know, solid. There's only a matter of time until he gets that fucking championship belt. But, you know, a couple of years ago when he had the belt and had it for that long of time and was the Rainmaker, he's still that. But that was when he was like fucking just invincible. And I feel like Cody was getting like that in AEW over Moxley. You know, I'm not like I said, I'm not including legends are different. You know, Randy Orton, AJ, even uh, you look at Tanahashi, you look at Jericho. That's going to be a little bit different. They've established themselves. But as in newer guys. And I think Cody's going to get, we'll, we'll talk about it. I think Cody's getting that fucking title back from Brody next week, and he's going to go in a very big direction. But I think he's more over the Moxley to me um, within that company. I think Moxley's a very well-known guy. He's doing a great job, but I think Cody just has that presence to him. I think Roman has that now, man. I really do. I think that he's probably one of the top superstars, if you will, if to use that term, I guess, in the industry right now. And this this gimmick is because of it. It's taken them there. Yes, and I mean, it was a godsend that, that the Paul stuff happened the way it did and that Brock didn't want to re-sign a contract and it all fell in line perfect with Roman being ready to come back. I mean, some things in wrestling you can't, like, you know, Stone Cold becoming the Stone Cold character. I think if, you know, like I said, you could have done this with Roman after the Undertaker match if you really wanted to. I think we even pushed that back then. As like the perfect time, people are already pissed he beat Undertaker. Now, now's the time. But this is even a better time because you can put him with Paul. And it's not that Roman's a bad promo or anything. It's just associating anyone with Paul Heyman gives them this little bit of slime to him. Just this extra little bit of like, ah, oh, fucking this guy. Uh, <laughs> but yes, Roman this looks motherfucker. like <laughs> he looks like a million bucks. I think they did a good job of telling this uh, story for the most part. And, and they gave us kind of what we predicted would happen. So it's uh, hard to be upset about. I thought the match itself was pretty fucking good. And uh, hey, man, Brian Alvarez and Meltzer both put this shit over. So, hey, we're, we're doing professional wrestling story uh, telling here. Yeah, man, definitely. Uh, I agree. I'm glad that, like, across the board, this pretty much was very much like... I just think that SmackDown, it's not just because of a two-hour versus three-hour. That has a lot to do with it, but I think SmackDown's been better written uh, compared to Raw as of lately. And I've actually enjoyed SmackDowns for the most part. And the fact that the Intercontinental title and this one, both those storylines came from SmackDown, says a lot about this pay-per-view looking good, especially in fans' eyes and me and Chris's eyes. 
I would assume. Yeah, I mean, I think the one weak spot would be the, the if they would have knocked a home run with the Sasha Bailey stuff, could have been even better. Yeah. So prob- probably good for Raw they didn't, because Raw right now is super weak. And also, I heard, I read today that Kevin Owens is on fucking SmackDown doing the KO show with Alexa Bliss. So they don't know what the fuck they're doing over there, apparently. Uh, I don't, yeah, I agree with you. And KO reminds me of Aleister Black, and now because of that whole entire music thing, they lost the rights to Aleister's music, and they also removed his entrance, which is what made him, and now he's some weird villain, and they they, they kept him talking in the fucking closet, though. That's good. New outfit, new demeanor, he doesn't do the jump in the ring anymore. You know, just really happy yeah, about that. And now, if, Boop, if Bobby Roode and Shinsuke lose... Theirs too. I mean, that's from the same guy, so it's only a matter of time. Good shit. What contracts they make with this fucking production company? I don't. Well, I mean, they bought that from Agent Orange, which is why they had them do that theme music for NXT a while back. It's like I, I don't, I don't fucking know, Dane. Anyways, yeah, like, yeah, the Alistair shit sucks. (laughs) He's like a, a bad guy, Snake Plissken. I guess is what they're going for. Uh, if Triple H had hair, I'm sure he wants to pull it out sometimes. <laughs> All right, let's talk about uh, AEW. Last night, I'll say this, I, and I, it's nothing, not a bad thing. I just thought that both shows were good. They kept my attention. Uh, you know, I was more tired from work, but they kept my attention for the most part. Um, especially after I rewatched them today. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I was really tired last night. I tried, but, you know, work's been kicking my ass lately. But um, I, I really enjoyed both shows. They had me the whole entire time. Not a lot happened uh, for, especially NXT as a go-home show. I just thought that they were kind of neutral shows. But still, some really good stuff in between. We'll start off with one of the matches I thought was really fucking good was Absolute Ricky Starks and Darby Allen uh, starting off on AEW. We had Taz. Something happened with Tony. I, uh, I apparently he was off due to like some type of family thing or some shit like that. So they had a pre-recorded interview that we'll talk about lately with fucking Road Warrior Buck kicking him in the face or some shit. Um, Taz is on uh, announcing for the night basically. So you have the manager of Ricky Starks uh, in there with Darby Allen. They've been building this, and Darby comes in, man, just head full of steam. I think Darby's awesome because he's got. Such quickness, but such intensity, and he fucking lays shit in. You know, he's willing to put his body on the line. You're going to fucking go for the journey. And I thought Ricky did a great job, um, you know, because he's a little more classic, per se, with his wrestling style, but he still can swing with guys, like, obviously the same size as him. Darby's a little bit smaller, but you get what I'm saying. And they just had a damn good match. One of the most violent things was just the way that Darby does – the uh, suicide dive, I think he'd, he's one of the best ones at it because he literally just puts his fucking body out there and annihilates the person with it uh, with so much force for his size. And I don't know. I, I thought that they just had a good back and forth. I like that that spear spot where uh, Darby, uh, I think he might have done a springboard and uh, he just got caught by Ricky just in the air. Uh, just really, really good shit. And then later on, well, he thinks he tries. He tries to get him with that. That doesn't work out. They keep on grappling, and inevitably, Darby uh, does the jump jump over uh, stunner, 
Uh, Ricky gets a two count from that. And the ending would be a coffin drop onto Ricky that looked fucking painful as shit <laughs> from Darby once again. And Darby Allen won. And the one thing that I will say with Taz, and it's it's probably got to be really hard trying to put over the fucking match. And also, you're a commentator, but you're also the manager of the person. Uh, you know, Ta- Taz, I, I have no reason or, or ability to even fucking give advice. I'm not trying to. Taz is an awesome fucking wrestler in the past. Great commentator. I think he's doing great with managing. I I don't like exactly what they're doing with him in his group sometimes, but him and his role is great. But maybe, I don't know, study Bobby the Brain Heenan because he wasn't, he wasn't in peril when his guy was getting annihilated sometimes. Like, you know, Ricky's getting in there. He, he kept up with it, but I just think that there should have been like more like, son of a, you know, just like Task can really get aggressive, but then he kind of would dial it back and then put over the move or whatever, like a commentator, which I get, but that's a little criticism. I actually really like this match. Both guys are good. Darby Allen, you know, they both needed wins. And uh, I think Darby Allen's obviously the bigger star between the two of them. So Darby getting uh, a win is, uh, is, is pretty good with me. Uh, what'd you think, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I have to tend to agree with you here. I thought this was a great opener match. Um, Darby, like you said, looked fierce as hell. This is one of the better Darby-Ricky Starks matches. Uh, it was it was a little weird that Taz was not as... He didn't turn it up to 11 like he has in the past while Ricky Starks is getting beat up, because he has done that in the past. If you go back to the uh, that Moxley tag team match where he was on commentary... So I don't know if they asked him to dial it back or what, but a great opening match. Good win for Darby Allen. I don't know what this means for Ricky Starks or Darby Allen. I guess that would be my question for you, Dane, is are they continuing this or are they going to move Darby into something else just because now he's beat Ricky Starks three times? Yeah, Ricky's probably going to have to do some, some extra work on the YouTube show to get some wins on that platform. Um, or put him with someone else, obviously. I mean, shit, can we just get Brian Pillman Jr. finally to have a uh, you know program with someone? Multiple matches, you can lose a couple. This is how that works to be able to you know get Ricky over, heel, babyface, something like that. Darby's, I think, going somewhere else. The other question or, or thing that happened in the match that was pretty cool was having Brian Cage come out, and he looked like he was going to try to distract Darby but then, um, oh man, and now I'm blanking on his name. Hot. Uh, the wrestler they just signed that. I can't remember his name. I'm going through my uh, through my notes. I gotta have this on here. Apologize, guys. Um, it was Will Hobbs. Damn it, but Will Hobbs came out, stopped that. And they started going at it and fought to the back. So we're going to get a match with them. That's a pretty cool aspect. I want to see two big men slapping me, as Big E would say. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's awesome. They've done a good job of building up the interest uh, to that for me with the uh, Moxley interference and kind of the tie into Murder Hawk a little bit and what they've done the past few weeks. It's going to be fun to see Will Hobbs and Brian Cage really go at it. Yep. 
Um, man, to me, it's like, man, put those guys on tag team together or some shit and just have them fucking kill people. Um, but yeah, up next, we had the American Nightmare himself, Cody, coming out and responding to uh, the TNT champion, Mr. Brody Lee's uh, proposition to have a dog collar match with him. You know, uh, even noted by JR bringing up the great one. And if you haven't seen one, maybe this shouldn't be the first one you go watch, but if you want to watch the most intense one, Go check out Greg Valentine, Roddy Roddy Piper, uh, where Ro- Roddy Roddy Piper throughout the duration gets hit so hard in the ear that his eardrum busts and is bleeding profusely through it. Uh, pretty violent fucking match. There's another strap match that's really good between Pat Patterson and Sergeant Slaughter at Madison Square Garden. You can find on the network. That's bloody as hell. But that's not a dog collar match. Just kind of similar in aspect. They you have to tie do the fucking turnbuckle bullshit. This is just going to be them attached to each other, beating the living hell out of each other. I don't know if they're doing the turnbuckle concept that they throw in there sometimes, or if it's a stray, I don't know what the fuck, but they're going to beat the living hell out of each other. So Cody comes out and basically what he says is that, you know, he's been thinking, obviously he lost the title. He realizes that, you know, he was getting kind of in his own head, if you will. And, uh, you know, he's kind of moping and, and feeling sorry for himself. And then he got that call from Hollywood to do that show. And he kind of puts it over, but also does it in a way that it's, it's a part of the fucking thing that he's talking about. Cody's great at fucking promos. Oh, weird. Um, you know, uh, but, you know, he's just talking about the whole thing and how he when it when it came to him, he's with a great actress like Rosario Dawson, a great rap pioneer like Snoop Dogg. Uh, great, you know, Grammy winner like Jennifer Nettles, but what what the hell's he on there for? Like, what's the point? He doesn't. He's not the champion. You know, people calling him the ace. There's three aces in this company, and he said Hikaru Shida, uh, John Moxley, and Mr. Brody Lee. And then he goes into the whole Brody Lee concept of, of Brody Lee uh, proposing this this thing, but he said that his answer is. You know, since the fact that he's one of the uh, CEOs and stuff like that, his answer is no. And then he leaves and just grab drawing emotion. I'm sure if the crowd was, if there was a million fucking people there, it would have been just even, you know, bigger, obviously, than the ones they had. But he comes back and then gets intense. And he, you know, says, like, no, no, I forgot the hell, uh, what, how he words it. Um, no regrets, I think is what he said. And then he accepts the challenge, calls out Brody Lee, gets all intense, takes his suit jacket off, slams it on the uh, the ring. And then it all goes to fucking hell. What was a great fucking promo to me just turned into a huge schmoz. And I'm so sick of these across the board in any wrestling thing because Brody Lee comes out and Cody's out. And then they start going at it, but. You know, you got the baby faces and the heels pouring from both sides of the audience trying to bring them apart. And, you know, they finally would get them apart. And then Cody would jump on Brody Lee. And then to make it even worse, I'm sorry. This, I like Brandy. I think she's a, she's a great fucking, um, whatchamacallit, a ballet heel, you know, businesswoman. She's gotten better and better at wrestling. I'll give her that. But why the fuck did she come out? And she did like a senton onto five of the members. Like, and then her and Anna Jay start fighting. You already got choked out by her on the YouTube show. Why are you out here? Like, why the fuck is this even here? It made it even more distracting and ridiculous because then now the women are trying to break them up. And, 
you know, they're not even having, at least as as I know, a match anytime in the future. Maybe they'll have another one on fucking Dark. I don't know. Or they'll have it on the main product this time. So we're amping it up. I'm not going to even go into that aspect. What I'm trying to say is I hate smudge finishes like this. I think they're dumb. They keep on happening. Brody left. He come back. Hated that part. Love the promo from Cody beforehand. You know, I always I always say because he talks about it being his favorite wrestler. There's a lot of that that sting intensity in there and charisma, but when you get that emotion, that 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 almost a quiver in his aggressive voice that he can just do and deliver, that's his fucking daddy, man. That's Dusty Rhodes. That's what Cody has naturally as a gift from him to show emotion and get you into stuff with his his promos, and that's what his father had. Um, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I thought, like I said, promo good, schmosh finish, thumbs down. Triple H style. Like, you're Randy Orton, you're about to get fucked up, basically, to me. Well, I, you synopsed this very well. So I will just go into Cody's promo. Um, apparently, Snoop Dogg is a slice of Americana, which I like. Oh, yeah, he is. <laughs> which is awesome. Um, Cody's promo was great. I once again I, I tend to agree with you. You're just based on the pull apart, it's in the middle of the show. There wasn't really any kind of follow up afterwards on the rest of the show. That was a bit weird. I don't know how I feel about uh, Spider Man three, Cody Rhodes, the Peter Parker, uh, emo Peter Parker. <laughs> uh, Let me ask you before you go on said that, because I remember that. I was well, I'm not going to act like I'm buddies with them, but Raj Geary, uh, uh, head editor and, and owner of Wrestling Inc., uh, I was going back and forth with him on Twitter. Uh, I feel like, I guess this is Cody's crow sting, if you will. Is that where he's going to try to go with this direction? Like a more darker Cody, but his way of reflecting it is his hair color? I don't know. I mean, if that's what they're going for, they fucking miss by a mile. Well, yeah, you have to shut up for a year in actuality, but I don't think they would do all that. <laughs> yeah, like you would have to. I mean, I you could just be Crow Cody if you're really going for it. I mean, come out with some face pain. Uh, I don't know. Like he, uh, he probably did that. Whatever. Yeah, probably. Um, I tend to agree with you, man. I thought this was fine for what it was. I'm kind of. The pull-aparts get a little old. I also disagree with them on what the greatest uh, dog collar match of all time is. Being here from Atlanta, that's going to be the last battle of Atlanta. That's that's Buzz Sawyer versus Tommy Rich in the cage with dog collars. So you know, I have uh, not seen that one, so I'll have to I'll check that out. But. But, uh, it, yeah, whatever. They, they're going to do a dog collar match. We did one of these already in AEW. Did we not with uh, Moxley? Did we? I don't fucking know. Probably. I, I feel like we've done the gimmick already. And also, it's a stupid match for Cody. This is a dumb baby face thing. It's a stupid match for Cody to accept. Because now he is chained to Brody Lee, who has a gang of about 30 people. Well, when you put it like that, you make Cody look like an idiot. <laughs> well, he is basically <laughs> idiot babyface. Um, his best friends, the Young Bucks, are heels. <laughs> Kenny Omega is crazy. And uh, 
Hangman Adam Page is just sad that his buddy left and is getting drunk like Tim Riggins on fucking Friday Night Lights. So, <laughs> God. <laughs> I don't know how this helps Cody unless Cody somehow overcomes the odds and wins, which could be good. I, I you know, it's exciting. I, I'm going to give them time to let this breathe and see where it goes before I bury it completely, I guess. But dog collar match, uh, a bit weird. Bit weird for me. Is anyone? What was the other dog the collar match? They said, "Was it Greg Valentine and Roddy Piper?" Because that is now thinking yep. back on it, that's probably that probably is the greatest. Yeah, so they weren't wrong there. I take I take back my previous statement. That was a damn good match. I love Greg the Hammer Valentine. Me too, man. Their demeanor together, and they had multiple matches. Definitely think that people should go and check that out. Find what you can on YouTube. And on the network, probably between the two, but uh, it, it reminds me of the the relationship that Ishii has with um, Minoru Suzuki. If Ishii is like the Greg Valentine, like the ship brick house, and fucking you have that crazy asshole with Minoru and fucking Roddy. Um, but yeah, I, I will. Uh, before we go off this, I will try to post up when I send this show out. There is a great uh, pilot for a sitcom with Greg Valentine starting a fishing company. And I can't remember who the other wrestler is with him. But uh, Oh, oh my God. It's something to behold. They buy a fishing shack and they're going to fish for money in their retirement as pro wrestlers. It's fucking amazing. (laughs) Jesus Christ. I still want to see that Canadian uh, crime drama that I don't even think happened with Bret Hart. When he left WWE to record that, I want to see what the fuck it looked like. It's probably terrible, but still. Um, anyways. Let's uh, talk about Tony Schiavone. All right, so he's talking with uh, FTR and Tully Blanchard. Asked him about, you know, the best friends. They claimed that the friends weren't on his level. They want to talk about SCU and their match with that. And then Tony goes to ask him about the Young Bucks. They said the uh, Young Bucks had multiple chances and blew it each time. He says it's because Dave Metzler loves them and gives them a bunch of stars that warrants a title shot, then give them one. Otherwise, they need to earn it like everyone else. Uh, And then we see, well, we see someone else's leg. The last two weeks, Nix has not been there. He's never been actually in the segment. A lot of people are wondering what's going on with that. Maybe he's just at his house for whatever reason, but it's always been Matt talking off camera to Nick, or you see someone's leg with Matt there. So uh, kind of strange in that aspect. But either way, they, they, they quote-unquote, super kick Tony in the shoulder. Uh, and the, he goes down, and then the heels, FTR, start saying, what the fuck, man? Well, why did you do that? Like, you know, we're the ones who were talking shit. If you're going to do that, why don't you do it to us? And the baby faces, the young bucks, walk off and are like, oops. And that was, you know, just very, very angsty Matt Jackson, man. He's very angsty right now. I don't know what's going on with him. But uh, Invisible Nick Jackson, angsty Matt Jackson, they're the heels, I guess, with their few that they still haven't even started with FTR, who are the baby faces. Uh, what happened to Tony? Chris, explain this goddamn segment. So you build up for years and years that the Young Bucks are the independent wrestlers that should be able to take down the 
conglomerate of what FTR stands for and who they're supposed to be, and now they're both fucking heels. And somehow, Tony Schiavone needs to get super kicked in this. If anything, Jack Swagger and Chris Jericho should show up and whip the Young Bucks' ass. <laughs> like, or someone. There should be some team standing up for Tony and what's happening to these guys. And uh, we're getting a heel versus heel thing. I don't know if they're going for the Shades of Grey. You know I hate the Shades of Grey bullshit in general. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I thought this fucking sucked simply because of that. Not because of the promo or anything that was done. I just... The, the Young Bucks thing, I gave it a couple weeks, and I'm, I'm over it. Like, they're a heel tag team who are going for the heel tag titles, and you're gonna, you can't switch FTR to babyfaces. Otherwise, why the hell does Tully do what he does later in this show? Um, who wants a babyface fucking version of FTR against the heel version of fucking Young Bucks? What the, what the hell is going on? I, I don't know, and they don't. I mean, the only baby face tag team they have really is SCU. They lose later in the night, um, Next, unless yep. you're going unless you're going to do fucking um, private party, I guess. The or bring in better, better. I mean, fuck, bring in James Storm, have him team with Adam Page. Called that earlier. <laughs> there you go, baby face tag team. I love that idea. I still do. I think that would be great. Especially if you just called it cowboy shit, but then you censor it with the S, and then a bunch of explode, you know, just fucking, just go for it. All right, so um, we have Dash talking to SCU right before their match. Uh, they kind of talk about how it's messed up that um, Shivani got kicked. JR was very mad, by the way. He was pissed. Selling that stuff really well, driving it home. And I liked how Taz was like, I don't care. I told Shivani got kicked in the face. You know, he's a douchebag. Like he didn't say that, but that's what he was saying. <laughs> <laughs> Love fucking Taz. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, uh, they're talking J- to her. JR, JR did a great job of selling this and driving it home, like you said, and it's like juxtaposition when like Samoa Joe got attacked or when, um, God, I can't think of the really tall guy who was a commentary for a while. Oh, the one that's on sh- Retribution, uh, Dio Maddox. <laughs> Yeah, when he got attacked by Brock Lesnar, the juxtaposition is just startling. <laughs> I agree. Um, but yeah, she's talking to them. They they go to leave. They have Christopher Daniels in their corner. It's Frank Kazarian, Scorpio Sky. And uh, after they talk about you know how they're going to win, they bump into the chairman of AEW, Sean Spears, who sarcastically wishes SCU uh, good luck in their upcoming match. I guess what they were trying to go for this, Chris, was since Tully is his manager too, he knew what they were going to do at the end to get the pin or something, or he was in on it. I don't know. I don't really know why he said good luck. Um, if they're not going to make some type of faction with uh, the uh, FTR, I, I don't really want Sean Spears. Apart. He can still be managed by Tully, but they don't you know, have to. I don't know what I'm trying to say. What did you think about all this? Before we get in the match. If he's if he's there to be fodder for FTR eventually, I have no problem with it. Because they, yeah. they need someone else bigger um, than him. I mean, like, even... You could even go the road of, like, you think MJF is going to join the inner circle when he joins Tully's group or some shit. Right? Mm-hmm. I, I think there's other things that you could do. Sean Spears... Uh, I think the experiment on Sean Spears is kind of over. Yep. Kind of tend to agree with you, man. 
All right, so we had a pretty awesome tag match between SCU and FTR. Frankie Kazarian, man. Holy shit. I mean, unfortunately for me, I got to see Frankie Kazarian, you know, later uh, on, and he's still incredible. Uh, he's just so fluid. He reminds me so much of Bret Hart and Owen Hart, and those are two of his top favorite wrestlers. Um, just certain things that he does, uh, his drop kicks for one, for Owen, and then a lot of the stuff like arm drag, just going right into like an arm lock and stuff like that. And the way he lays stuff in, it just, he's a fucking phenomenal wrestler. And he was doing, and I mean, Scorpio sky is Scorpio sky. So you got a great dynamic right there. And they're going against FTR who have that classic heel mentality, cutting off the ring, you know, their style are very similar. So there was no clash between them. Just a lot of great wrestling a lot of holding the tag ropes, so I'm sure that Jim Ross was very happy with that. Um, I know I was. Um, and just, uh, you know, at one part, Christopher Daniels tried to trip, or he did trip, um, I believe, uh, Cash. And uh, he reported it to the referee. The referee didn't even see it and just believed him and kicked fucking Christopher Daniels out. So even the commentators were like, hey, what the fuck, man? Like, even though obviously it's, it's taking advantage of the rules... Ref don't see it. Ref don't see it. You can't just fucking believe the person. But whatever. That's that's a minor gripe. Um, but I, I liked uh, at the end, you know, the, the Bobby the Brain um, Rick Rude ending of uh, him getting involved. And then fucking, uh, whatchamacallit, Scott Dawson getting behind him and pulling uh, Scorpio's leg down so he couldn't get, the you know, up for the three count. And, uh, yeah, I just, I, I like the match. Uh, I like this concept with them doing these 20-minute matches and, and being full of themselves. And the way that they heal it up is really fucking good. Uh, I like that one spot, too, that they were going to do the... the um, the uh, What you call it? The Doomsday Device, but the version where it's a powerbomb version. And Frankie ended up grabbing one of them and, and turning it into basically, like, you know, just bulldogging them onto the ring and almost getting a three-count. Really, really good, tight match, good tag match. Tully's a good manager, obviously, when it comes to heel manager. Him getting involved is fun. And uh, enjoy this. Uh, I know the best friends. They had, like, a little segment with them shortly after that. Uh, they were getting interviewed and, you know, talking about how, that, based on the rankings, you know, SCU's bumped down a bit. Where Young Bucks, they're not doing anything. You know, what the fuck? Why aren't they? Why are they being overlooked? And uh, FTR basically came into frame and said that they were really good backyard wrestlers and just good for stuff like that. Um, and uh, they did this part where and the thing is, I've actually really, really liked the best friends the last couple of weeks, uh, the week before even the parking lot brawl. I don't remember what happened, what match had happened, but I really liked it. And uh, the weenies comment last week and then the follow up with this, they go to like punch him. Both guys flinch in FTR, which is awesome. And, you know, Orange Cassidy brings back and calls them weenies. It's fine. And then JR asks, are we allowed to say weenies on air? So he was just trying to check <laughs> make sure. But um, good stuff. Good match. Dude. I'm looking forward to best friends, obviously, in FTR sometime soon as a transitional to get us the Young Bucks. But what do you think about this match and everything else that followed? Was that like low key JR burying it so they wouldn't use it again? Probably. 
<laughs> That's kind of what it seemed like. Are we allowed to say weenies on the air? <laughs> oh, man, Tony. <laughs> Tony wasn't even there. <laughs> uh, this was the best match on the show, easily. And Frankie Kazarian uh, stood out and was the most underrated wrestler on the show. I thought he was fucking great in this match, and he's been great in every match they've put him in so far. Uh, they should do more with Frankie Kazarian. That's what I, I dug out of this. I read this in my note. I was I actually wrote Frankie Kazarian is the Kyle O'Reilly of this fucking show. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> he was phenomenal. This was a good match. I liked how they utilized getting Christopher Daniels kicked out of the match and the fact that they used every heel move they could as FTR. I mean, it was like watching Ric Flair or Eddie Guerrero. They did everything they possibly could and totally fucked them over at the end. I like the tie into the best friends. Not the huge fan of the weenie thing. I don't think they're going to get that over. Um, but they did look really good in that. The, the, the last few matches that uh, the best friends have had, they've, they've been really good. They're good in ring workers. So that should be a fun match if they don't try to do too much. It'll be really funny to watch uh, Orange Cassidy and Tully Blanchard have a moment at some point. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, that, that would be great. All right. Um, all right. So throughout the match, uh, Hangman Page was on commentary. Uh, he was the special guest. I gotta say, man, I really, really like Heyman Page. I don't, and I mean, they're kind of transitioning it now. This is gonna be like, you know, him trying to find out from Kenny, like, what the fuck? Maybe he's gonna be in this tournament, and they'll end up him and Kenny at the end of it for the number one contender thing. But, um, you know, he's been compared from some big wrestlers to guys like Barry Windham to Magnum. Uh, TA, I've even said that too in the past. Um, you know, just having this char- charisma and stuff like that. And throughout the whole entire course of the fucking him doing commentary, he was just sounded like an idiot. And then they would always like cut to him, like, you know, with his eyes crossed, drinking or, or guzzling stuff down. And then at the end of it, poor little puppy Adam Page, they announced this tournament they're having to find out the number one contender. And they announced the first three participants in it, and it was Ray Phoenix, um, Jungle Boy, and Kenny Omega. And as soon as he said that, Paige spit out his drink, looked at the commentators. They all like looked to him. It was a really funny scene. The ending was great, actually, because they all look at him after they make after Excalibur makes that announcement and wait for his reaction. And he's like, "I gotta go," and then just gets the fuck out of there real quick. So a lot of stuff I do like about it, but I, I don't know. I just there there is this raw aggression that I've seen in Page, especially in the ring, and I get this whole entire thing like he's mopey and he's a drunk and he's sad and shit. And but at at some point I don't want to fucking see that anymore. I want to see him start being a badass. He can keep on drinking. We know that works for some people in wrestling, uh, but you know, I don't know. He just seems like the sad drunk. Uh, most of the time, but how do you like this tournament? We got a lot of tournaments going on. The Pure Tournament in Ring of Honor, which I've seen a little bit of, has been awesome. The G1 Tournament. The UK's got their tournament in NXT. Now we got a tournament for the number one contender, Chris. What do you think? It's the number one contender for the heavyweight belt, right? Yep. John Moxley. Is Murderhawk not still the number one contender? Well, since he had COVID and he was out, when he comes back, he's having his match with Moxley, but this is for, I guess, 
either in between or after that is what I would assume. Okay. Um, I'm fine with it. I think it's interesting. I didn't mind him on commentary. I totally get where you're coming from. I, I never compared him to like a Magnum TA or any of these guys. I mean, I guess in ring, I could see a bit of that. But the character itself to me is like Rooster Cawbaron from True Grit. He's like the drunk cowboy outlaw that really has no friends. And it's going to take something to set him over the edge to right his ways to get his wins. And if that's the storyline they're going with and what they're booking towards, then I'm completely fine with how they ended this segment. And uh, knowing Mr. JR, if he has his hands in this, there's definitely shades of the Duke fluttered all over this cowboy character. Hmm, interesting. I like that. Um, all right, next match, Isaiah Cassidy and Chris Jericho. Uh, I, I think that Isaiah Cassidy did really well in this match. Uh, my thing with Chris Jericho is, and this one is, is the least I would say Chris Jericho, his whole thing now is he wants to help get guys built within the company. So he spent that time with orange Cassidy in three matches to get him to another level, which to me, I think he's still a novelty act and he's good, uh, but I don't think it's really gotten them that much more over. Immediately after that, they have a couple tag matches with uh, Joey Janela and um, and Sonny Kiss, which were fine, but you know, Chris Jericho's bumping around like a fucking ball everywhere, and then he proceeds that. There was one other transition, I believe, before that. Uh, no, no, there was those two matches, and then this one's going to be next with Isaiah Cassidy, who is half of a tag team uh, and doesn't do a lot of singles matches. I think this was his second one uh, in the company uh, since it started. Um, what I'm trying to say is now it looks like he's going on to work with his, his good friend, and I get it's on his big anniversary thing. And, you know, he went to school with Lance Storm with Dr. Luther. So they're going to have something. But if you're going to use Chris Jericho to highlight people and you got guys like Darby Allen and fucking Jungle Boy and 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 people that really look like they're they are going to be future stars within your company. Maybe I'm just hoping that that's going to be in his track record uh, compared to some of the choices. But him and Isaiah Cassidy, they did have a great match. I loved Isaiah almost getting that fucking win right at the beginning and saying, like, you know, I was this close. Like this close and putting a little bit of fear in Chris Jericho. I guess my point is the the amount that Jericho decides to sell for that person or the extension of the match that's that becomes a little bit ridiculous to me. Uh, but with this, you know, Cassidy was just evading him and just using his his force and his speed. And he actually, unlike say the Orange Cassidy matches, uh, well, actually, the second one was really good. But like the whole concept. Put, got me more believed into this. Uh, and by the end, I thought that, you know, he was doing a damn good job. He kept on getting Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho went for his lion salt. It got blocked. Um, and then uh, he all, he went for the lion salt then on Chris Jericho, gave him the code breaker, you know, and was putting a lot of uh, offense against him. He did one move. I forgot what the hell it was. Busted up uh, Chris Jericho's mouth. So I wonder what Chris Jericho is like to work with when you're like a new guy trying to like get to another level and you're working with Jericho and you accidentally fucking smash him in the face. 
but Jericho's a very, you know, for being a vet man, he's he's willing um, to do a lot, and that is very commendable uh, as well, contradicting kind of like what I was saying before him. But it would come down to, you know, Isaiah Cassidy did one springboard, and then probably I think the best uh, Judas effect I've ever seen, the connection, everything, uh, looked fucking devastating. Put him down. One, two, three. And then, of course, they, they flood the ring before Matt and, uh, you know, uh, his tag partner can get in there uh, with the chair and just give a couple kicks to Isaiah Cassidy and start beating the crap out of Ortiz, finally get him out of the ring. And uh, Chris Jericho stands tall, busted mouth and, and everything. Uh, what did you think about the match, Chris? I like the match because it just sets up that tag match between uh, private party and Jericho and uh, Jack Swagger, I guess it seems to be the tag team they're going with. Now that Sammy's back, you would think it would be Sammy and Jericho again, but um, yeah, I, I, I like this. Okay. Uh, the Jericho stuff, it doesn't bother me as much as it does you as far as who he's selling to. And just because Jericho can, he's proven so much. It doesn't matter what ridiculous role you put him in. He's able to get himself back over. So all he has to do is turn the intensity back up and he's there again for me. Um, so I liked this. I, I, I definitely get what you're saying in the past with some of the, some of the decisions they've made with Jericho, but it hasn't hurt him at all. He's still, I'm not, seems... I'm not, I think that he is pretty much vulnerable. I'm not worried about him. I'm just worried about if he's going to use that special fairy dust to sprinkle on other wrestlers you know, kind of pick some better choices. Well, I mean, with Isaiah, with Isaiah Cassidy, at, at least they're gonna be. That's gonna be the second tag team feud. Yeah, yeah, that's right? true. You know, so they're gonna be second billing underneath whatever the tag championship picture is, and maybe that is how you get Private Party over um, to get them to that next level because they, you know, they took their number one babyface tag team or their number two babyface tag team. Well, they, you know, they turned one heel and they broke the other one up. So you have Jungle Express or Jurassic Express and uh, Private Party. That's your baby faces right now. And SCU just took a loss, or I would throw them in there. So it's, uh, I don't know, it's a bit weird where they're, what they're doing with the tag division. I don't have a huge problem with this match. I thought it was actually very, very good. Um, especially, was it Isaiah's second match is what they said or something like that. Second singles yeah. match, not a singles guy. And I like that the commentary pointed out, it's like Chris Jericho should have a major advantage in this match because this guy doesn't wrestle singles matches. Um, and that kind of proved to be the downfall a little bit in the match. So I thought there was some decent storytelling here it was not the best match on the show by any means, but it was, it was fun. Yeah, I agree with that. All right. So uh, next thing was the segment. It's another questionable. I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not trying to be down on AEW at all. I really like AEW. It's just, if it's, if I, if I see it, I calls it sort of thing. So the next thing, Miro, God damn it, man. It's like first the fucking Disney pajamas that cost more than I'll <laughs> ever have in my life, probably with money. Um, and now him and Kip Sabian are at an arcade where Pretty cool arcade, though, where they have fucking axe-throwing station um, trying to plan his bachelor party. And, you know, Kip's all excited about it, and Miro just is down on himself because 
how the hell is he going to be able to have this amazing extravagant bachelor party during a pandemic and stuff like that with everything being the way it is. And if you don't, if you never watch King of Kong or know anything about competitive gaming, you're not going to know who the fuck Billy Mitchell was, but that's the guy that was in the white suit who has records with Pac-Man and also Donkey Kong uh, that actually Guinness Book of World Records. I think they revoked his, his, uh, his, his, um, whatchamacallit, his, his accomplishments, and then they gave it back to him after a further analysis. Who gives a fuck? Why the hell is he on the goddamn thing? Why the fuck is Miro? I don't know. I don't get this shit. I, I hope that when it comes to the wedding, he just rips his fucking suit off, beats the shit out of Miro, and, or beats the shit out of Kip Sabian, and then goes in a completely different direction. I really feel like Miro, to me, reminds me a lot of, like, this generation Scott Steiner. You know, he has that fucking, he has that personality, man. He has that intensity. You know, the fact that he fucking dyed his hair blonde doesn't, I guess, doesn't, you know, change my aspect a little bit. But I don't, I don't, I don't, video games, I guess. Twitch station. Cool. Really cool. It's all about Twitch, man. That's how you that's how you make the money. <laughs> I all right, here's the thing. If the idea is just for them to get free promotion for their fucking Twitch channel, they're doing a great job at that. If the idea is to tell us a wrestling storyline, they're doing a piss poor job at that. Uh, Billy Mitchell being there, this is a man who defrauded for years what his records actually were, was proven, somehow got them reinstated. I don't think anyone really gives a shit in the hardcore video community or hardcore video game community as far as pro scores go, uh, whether he got them reinstated or not. Billy Mitchell himself is a character <laughs> to some extent, but uh, also that has nothing to do with Twitch. They're not going for high scores. I don't understand the tie-in. I didn't understand the segment at all. Um, and, and you look around the environment they're in, you have Wardlow, you have Jack Swagger, you have Brian Cage, you have Murderhog, and now you have Miro, who is, to me, a fucking afterthought. You've done I hate to say it. <laughs> I hate to say it, but it's like, I feel like, I think Tony's doing a great job, especially for a first-time promoter. He's got a lot of good influence to help him out, but obviously the bottom line goes to him. Sometimes it's like, do you just have your action figures in your bathtub? And you're like, it'd be really neat to have this, this, and like all the big guys that you just named. Murderhawk has been elevated as of recently, but all of their entrances to the company were a big introduction. They were beaten, and then kind of some of them were put on ice. Obviously, Brody Lee won a title. Murderhawk's been his position. Brian Cage got an imaginary title. But you know what I'm saying? Like, seems like the big man, they just, they're great at booking them. Really good. Well, this was my fucking worry about them bringing in so many to begin with or bringing in so many athletes to begin with is when you bring in a bunch of big guys all at the same time, there's only so much fodder to feed them. And uh, Miro is on the tail end of this. And uh, the storyline is, one, jokingly making fun of the wedding angle that was in WWE. And two, revolves around video games, which is fine, I guess, to some extent. But 
I don't give a shit about his Twitch stream. And I really don't care about Billy Mitchell being on wrestling <laughs> unless he's going to get like put through a table by Kevin Owens or some shit. Remember when Kevin Owens put MGK through a table? If they're going to yeah. do that with, with fucking Billy Mitchell <laughs> very soon, I might uh, be down. But so far, uh, the mirror shit's been a flop for me. And the thing is, is when you come in and you have a flop, it's going to be a lot harder to rebuild you. Yeah, I tend to agree with you, man. Tend to agree with you. But, <clears throat> hey, Miro's happy. Heard him in several interviews, so we'll have to wait and find out, but I'm just diminishing I mean, returns was, when I... it comes to big guys in AEW. <laughs> was... kind of like the, it's kind of like the opposite of WWE. It's like you got to worry about the little guys in WWE. You got to worry about the big guys in AEW. I mean, if I was fucking him, I'd be happy too. I just get to go on get get to go on TV and promote my fucking Twitch stream in front of a million people or whatever, <laughs> and not have a fucking match. Seems like a pretty good deal for Miro. Yep. Well, like I said, let's find out and see where this plays out. But uh, next match: Orange Cassidy versus Dark Order number ten. Uh, who? Looks like a fucking monster, man. I want to see that guy without his mask and actually wrestling. But, you know, this Dark Order stuff, a lot of it, some of it is uh, definitely the the show um, being the elite. Uh, But they're they're growing on me and not like mold. Like they're growing on me in a good way. But um, good match. You know, it was Cassie doing his, his shtick. Uh, but I really, like I said, as a wrestler, and the fact that they have Alan Angels, and a lot of people don't know him that well as one of the guys, uh, Georgia Boy, and, you know, just a couple of the other dudes. You know, there are John Silvers. There are some really good wrestlers uh, in the Dark Order. But uh, just came back to it. I thought Orange Cassidy had a good match with them. Obviously, at the end, Orange Cassidy won uh, with his uh, beach break finisher for the pinfall. But uh, what did you think about this match with Freshly Squeezed and 10? thought it was a pretty good singles match. Uh, another win for Orange Cassidy. So what? he's won like four or five in a row. He's yeah. climbing up the ranks for a title shot. That'll be interesting. I mean, Moxley versus Orange Cassidy, even if it's a one-off, will be entertaining as hell. Yeah, they'll be able to get some mileage out of that for sure. Um, and uh, it's it's hard for me to say anything negative about Orange Cassidy or what they've been doing with the Dark Order because it seems to be working week to week. People seem yep. to be into those storylines. So while I don't necessarily think that Orange Cassidy should be having a title match, uh, I could easily see that being a one-off like they did with Darby Allen against John Moxley where he just loses or whatever. And you get some funny uh, promos from Moxley and some funny promos from uh, Orange Casty. It seems to be the way they're going just to have a TV filler match. Unless they put him against Brody Lee, and then you could just have him get murdered by Brody Lee, which I think is also acceptable. Either way, I didn't have a huge problem with the match. I thought it was pretty decent. Yeah, I, de- I definitely agree with you, man. Uh... Just going to be uh, interesting. I, I have to say, though, being the elite, you got to check out being the elite to see John Silver at his all of his glory. 
His comedic timing is fucking hilarious. And it adds a lot to stuff that happens like last week when he when Brody Lee's like, give me that damn thing, you know, to John Silver or like throws him off and beats the crap out of him real quick. Like it's uh, it, it's good shit. Anyways, uh, getting back on track. So. Quick, quick question before we move on. Does Orange Cassidy get involved in this tournament that they're having? I could see Orange Cassidy get involved and I could definitely see Adam Page getting involved. I think that would be a really good layer to it. I think Orange Cassidy going to the finals and losing against either Adam Page or Kenny Omega could be really great. Yeah. That would be awesome. Because there's a lot of cool matches you can do with Orange Cassidy because he's good in the ring. And he's also the unsuspecting guy that would be able to travel through that tournament if you wanted to go that route. Definitely could see that. Um, so we had uh, MJF visit the inner circle uh, in their locker room. Obviously pre-taped because Chris Jericho looked hell of a lot better than he did after the Isaiah Cassidy match. Uh, but, you know, MJF just comes over to Wardlow. He's got this nice little box, and it's uh, full of a present for the inner circle. And he's got these new, like, custom jackets made. Like, they're all, like, pink ladies or some shit. And he hands... You know, he had one for uh, one for Jake Hager, you know, one for Santana, one for Ortiz, one for Le Champion, Chris Jericho. Oh, and he couldn't figure out where Sammy's was. And he gets all mad at Wardlow and apologizes very sarcastically. And Sammy's like, what do you want? Uh, he, he goes, yeah, no, no, that's that's exactly he was like, it's like, that's great, MJF. What do you want? What the hell do you want? And Chris Jericho's like, hold on, Sammy, calm down. That's right, MJF. What do you want? What the hell do you want? <laughs> and then it was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I just wanted to, you know, congratulate you on your match. And it goes back to that thing that happened last year, shortly, like, a, what, month and maybe from Dynamite starting, where Chris Jericho was asking, do you want to join the, the inner circle? And MJF kept on saying, do you want me to join? And they did that whole entire thing again. And then... uh you know, MJF, they didn't have a, uh, a resolution. And at one part, Wardlow and, and Jake Hager were, were kind of squaring each other off. And then it got a little awkward. And then MJF apologized. Chris Jericho said no problem. And he leaves. And Sammy was, like, about to talk shit about him. And Chris Jericho was like, wait, 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 wait. You know, like, he's on to something. He's got an idea. This could be a good thing. So it was a, it was a, it was a fun segment. My whole thing with um, MJF, the concept of MJF becoming, I guess, involved with the inner circle is interesting. Jericho said he'd never add anyone else uh, in interviews outside of it, but, you know, who knows? And the fact that he already tried to get him to be a part of it in storyline maybe goes against that. I don't know what you do with Wardlow if you just keep him in there. Um, But the concept of MJF trying to take over that group is kind of an interesting idea. If they were to go that route and become him against uh, Chris Jericho, and maybe he's going and gunning originally for Sammy's spot, basically, and kind of causes friction, and that's how you get Sammy on his own thing. There's 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 ways they could go with Inner Circle. I'm just saying, personally, to me, I would rather see MJF end up with Tully's little, you know, if he's having something, uh, kind of like I said, his own Heenan family, if you will, and wants to be a part of that along with. 
FTR, maybe Sean Spears or whoever. Uh, take Wardlow in there as well. That's an interesting concept. I will also say if it was possible and they they work with current M- uh, MLW talent, if he were to have, you know, Alexander Hammerstone um, and uh, and Holiday come over from MLW and reinvigorate the dynasty for like a little while for like a storyline, that would be really awesome. And it would also get those two guys who are fucking amazing. Richard Holiday's great on the mic, great heel. Kind of just just pompous as hell. Alexander Hammerstone, you look, Jim Cornette, whether you like him or not, says that he is this generation's Kurt Henning potentially in the making. So, you know, that would be another great fucking thing to do to combat what's going on. But I I don't know. I I, I like the segment. It's fun. I feel like Jericho's got a trick that he's going to try to do to MJF. So I'm, I'm wondering where this is going. What do you think, Chris? I think the trick is on MJF's side, which is getting the inner circle to turn against Sammy Guevara. Sammy Guevara getting ousted from the group. He's the one that was like, uh, what do you call him, a loser? He's like, this guy's a loser. And Jericho's like, hey, maybe he's not a loser, Um, which could do a lot of things. You could put Sammy Guevara with Matt Hardy. You You could have, there's so many things that you could do. Sammy Guevara, I think, is great. Um, doesn't really need a mouthpiece. I think he could get outside of that group and do well. And like you said, if you pull in MJF, now you have like Nation of Domination, MJF could be trying to take over the inner circle from Jericho, which is fun as well. So I think that's where I would head with the storyline. They've teased it for a while. They even did this uh, was like four or five weeks ago where they both both called each other idiots and then apologized to each other because they were talking about the limo drivers. No, there was, well, well, MJF was talking about Tony Schiavone because he's a fucking idiot. Oh, <laughs> that's yeah, that's, that's, that's what he went with. Uh, but they definitely were both talking about each other and it seems like yeah. they're starting to, they're teasing it, but it could be teased enough for Sammy Guevara to be completely against this, to have a feud with MJF. And then Sammy be the one that's ousted from this group, um, which could be fun. I mean, that's that's kind of a fun little mini storyline. Gives MJF something to do, especially keeps him away from the heavyweight picture, which is going to be whoever wins this number one contenders thing, plus Murderhawk and John Moxley. Um, and it looks like still in some way there's still unfinished shit between Eddie Kingston and uh, John Moxley as well. So Yeah, so they've built up like a good stack of opponents for Moxley already without going back to MJF, which I think is smart. But in the meantime, you could do MJF versus Chris Jericho or MJF versus Sammy Guevara. Um, so I, I'm not, I don't know. I, this one's very interesting to me because there's a lot of things they could pull out of it, and I think most of it would be good. I don't know where it leaves Wardlow. Yeah, exactly. That's the question. He's kind of that, a part of the deal. But that could be good for Wardlow. Also, like if you know, if if uh, he just gets fired and then goes on a rampage afterwards, similar to Batista getting kicked out of Evolution or something. Yeah, uh, that that could also be good for him. So there's a lot of cool storylines they could pull out of that. I don't know that they're going that route. Uh, it did seem like it was very focused on Sammy Guevara, which would make me think that. MJF versus Sammy Guevara. 
which I think a lot of people would enjoy. Yep. All right. Well, uh, before the main event, we had a match of the return of Dr. Britt Baker. She came up with uh, Rebel or Reba or whatever uh, to go against Red Velvet. Uh, this is Red Velvet's first uh, time on Dynamite. She's definitely been on, I think, an episode or two or Dark, if I'm not mistaken. But, uh, you know, uh, for I think I think Britt wanted to, like, test her ring rust and just also just show the audience that she, you know, she might have taken a break, but she's still fucking, she can do it. Um, I There was one submission maneuver that she applied. Oh, I can't remember. It was basically, uh, I, I, I honestly can't. It wasn't the thing that she does at the end with the claw or anything like that. It was it was middle of the match. Um, I'm having a problem and a brain fart with some of the. Uh, oh, it was the barbed wire stretch. That looked fucking painful. She double upped the uh, the arms of the opponent with their arms behind their back and was just that looked just awful. But Britt did a great job. She's playing the heel. Her entrance, you know, it makes a lot of sense that she's uh She's engaged to uh, uh, Adam Cole, baby, because they have a very uh, similar heel level. Well, Adam used to, but within their wrestling ranks, being the Romeo and Juliet of uh, the Wednesday Night Wars, if you will. But um, good stuff from Bit Baker. I'm glad she's back. You know, we've had basically Kuroshida, who's a champion, obviously, but then kind of an outsider with the NWA champion, Thunder Rosa. Um, and Diamante and uh, which one? Eva Lee, who are not even signed, I don't think, kind of holding up stuff a lot in a lot of ways lately. So, you know, outside of Hakuroshida, it's good to have uh, Britt Baker back. I don't know where Big Swole's been since the uh, pay-per-view. I guess she's selling her loss. Maybe we'll see her back soon, but um, you get what I'm saying. Now LaRose picking fights uh, during that big old schmoz, uh, beating up... Um, I forgot what the wrestler is. She's another one from Dark. Anyways, but what did you think about this match and the return of Britt Baker? I'm going to say Britt Baker looked good in her return. Probably her best AEW match, just because nothing bad happened to her, and we were able to see a full-on match. <laughs> yeah. Um, I look forward to seeing what they do with her. This was a decent match. Nothing to write home about or anything. It wasn't like the greatest match of all time. Um, but it was good for Britt Baker to see her get her legs back underneath her and have an actual match that wasn't whatever that clusterfuck that the dentist office match was. Oh, I'm sure, God. I have no idea what they're doing with Big Swole. That's that's a different question for a different day. But obviously they're going forward with Britt Baker being one of the top heels um, in the female division. And I don't think that's wrong. I, they need to build it a little bit, but uh, she's right there. The, the big question, it would be, uh, I mean, uh, God, I, why can't I, I blinked on her name? Um, shit. Uh, NWA female champion. Oh, Thunder Rosa. Yeah. What's Thunder Rosa's contract look like? And also, uh, they just signed Deebs. So they brought in two people that I think are maybe better than Britt Baker. Yep. So they created a backlog. Britt Baker became really good on the mic, though. So we'll see. I don't know. It's interesting. They're building that female division. It should be really good very soon if they can mm-hmm. keep every everything together. Yep, I agree. 
All right, so, uh, you know, the announcers announced that uh, next week is going to be the 30-year anniversary of Koshirko, special edition of AEW Dynamite. God, I hope that there is maybe some segments or at least a big thing before his... I understand it's just his friends, but his match with Luther... God, wouldn't it have been awesome if, if they just got Landstorm to have, like, one last match against Chris Jericho because it's both their 30-year anniversary? Maybe that's just asking way too much. But anyways, I want something where Dean Malenko comes out because Chris Jericho maybe, like, talks about, you know, all the fucking moves that he does and have Dean come out and have, a, like, a little bit of interaction with them and, like, a couple other people, you know, on that level with Chris Jericho. And then uh, at the end, obviously, they're going to have that tag match. But um, should be interesting. Like I said, I don't want Dean to come out and have a fucking match with him or anything like that. But if he came up and was on the mic and just talking shit a little bit with them, it would be kind of funny. It would make me chuckle. Or if they had Lance, you know, come in as a special guest just to have like a little bit of a back and forth in the ring, uh, just talking, something like that. But uh, it, it should be fun. But they also are going to have Brian Cage defending his FTW championship for the first time against Will Hobbs. And... Uh, Eddie Kingston will be going against someone in the ring. So Eddie Kingston comes out. He's got Pentagon. He's got Phoenix. And he's talking a bunch of shit about John Moxley fucking being Eddie Kingston, as Eddie Kingston can. And uh, he has the ability to choose Moxley's opponent, and he can't pick himself. So he's going to pick someone. But before that, he basically just talks down Moxley until Moxley comes out. And, oh, he was about to fuck up the referee um, that, you know, called him out the week before or stopped the match because Eddie was knocked out. He was talking about how he didn't tap out and he was, you know, they're about to do a three man on one type of deal. John Moxley comes out, uh, charges the ring and they jump out of the ring and he goes over, you know, you're not fighting me tonight. You're not fighting Phoenix. You're not fighting Pentagon. And behind them, we see Andy Williams from every time I die. I mean, the butcher, um, pop up behind him and, you know, start looking them down. And he says, you're fighting the butcher. Um, and we have a singles match with the butcher. So another guy in the tag division having a singles match, this one for the championship against Moxley. Um, but butcher showed pretty, pretty good growth. I mean, he hasn't been wrestling for a long time. I've heard him in interviews. Um, and I think he's just been tag teaming with, with Braxton Sutters and it's only been like two or three years. So, He's got a good look to him. Um, strikes are not bad. His submission work, submissions were loose as shit. Did not look fucking real at all. But, you know, that's for someone that, that looks a little bit into it, I guess, maybe too much. But um, match is fine. I just, if you had a golden opportunity to have a fucking match, if you're going to make everyone, like, wait for this match that Eddie Kingston's picking the fucking opponent from, um, Butcher's kind of just like, uh, what? All right, cool. You have Pentagon on your fucking team. Who doesn't want to see Pentagon go against goddamn John Moxley in a fucking crazy ass match? I don't know. Thought it was a really weird, random uh, main event. Wasn't bad. Wasn't anything to write home about. But uh, yeah, that's about it. That was the uh, last match. Yeah, I have to agree with you. It, it was a little bit weird, the person he selected. Um, I didn't think he would pick Pentagon. I thought maybe he would pick Phoenix over Pentagon to continue that storyline. Because Pentagon has kind of been the odd man out. Yeah, that's true. 
going his forward. Best friend. Yeah, his best friend is definitely uh, not to say the Judas effect, but the Judas effect. <laughs> Cain and Abel, right? He's going to stab this guy in the back at some point. Uh, I thought maybe they would have went with picking Ray Phoenix. They went with the butcher. It was fine. He looked uh, he looked pretty blown up at times during this match to the point where Moxley had to slow shit down. It's true. Um, but it wasn't a bad match. What was weird is there was no aftermath. So I don't know if the show accidentally went longer than it was supposed to or what, but you would assume that he beat the butcher. Now you get the beat down from Kingston's group. Uh, we got none of that. It kind of was just the match. And, to agree with you. and Moxley stood tall, which is, I mean, good. Moxley has been great since coming back uh, from the COVID scare with him and Renee. Uh, I also, we should also look in to see what Renee's, I mean, I know she's going to be 90 days, right? Before she can do anything. Yeah. But I'm curious to hear if there's anything out there on what she is going to be doing. Me too. It fascinates the hell out of me because there's so many, I feel like she has a lot of outlets, man. She could do a lot of different, I could see her on a morning show. You know, being the host on that or something like that. I could see her obviously doing something in sports, uh, you know, as a female anchor, obviously in wrestling if she wants to. She loves cooking. Maybe she gets her own cooking show. Uh, sky's the limit, I think, for Renee Young. Yeah, I could easily see her going back to TSN and being like a, a hockey analyst again yep. or something because that she's already worked there. I'm just curious on whether she goes to AEW or not and how they shift that thing around. I think she's going to be great wherever she goes. Because she's a highlight of all of those backstage shows 90% of the time. <laughs> so obviously she's pretty good at, at, at filling that role. So I am curious about that, but that's has nothing to do with the show. Overall, I thought this was a pretty good AEW. It was a little weird with some of the matchups they chose, but it was a fun watch. Yep, I agree with you. All right, so let's uh, go into NXT. Um this is the thing about watching these things at the same time. I got Ricky Starks, Darby Allen, and next to it, I got like a female concept as as far as the aggressive energy uh, that Darby has with Shotzi Blackheart going against Dakota Kai. Um, awesome fucking match, and I'm glad I got to go back and watch it. I hope Shotzi didn't fuck up her neck on that one apron spot, though. That was really scary. But I just love I love Kai's energy. I love how she usually just goes up and just will mush someone's face, and that's usually what causes the thing to like really escalate. Um, but Shotzi, I think, really did well in this match. This was a very good match and a good win for her because they built up Dakota. Um, and I know Raquel Gonzalez. She was out there. The stuff with with her and Rhea Ripley, I mean, I get it. You got two of the, like the larger, taller women to go against that are both just angry and shit. And but at the same time, it's like, can we do something cool at Rhea Ripley like we were doing? Like, you know, I don't know. But uh, Shotzi had an awesome match. She had this one move that she was doing. Oh man, it was basically she tied up to her legs, Dakota's legs, and almost not like a sharpshooter, but something similar to that. And then triangled them and then moved so her back was on top of Dakota Kai's back. 
and was going for her arms. Finally, she was taking her body up and then slamming it back. So finally, Dakota, like, you know, released her arms. and She had her like in a reverse full Nelson. It was awesome. Uh, she just she looked ferocious in this match. And then, yeah, the apron spot. They're fighting on the apron. They're going back and forth. And I can't remember the exact thing that she did. But Shotzi Blackheart went, oh, she went to run up uh, the rail and then flip over and drop Dakota Kai, you know, on her head on top of the apron. But when she did it, she came back and basically just smashed her head like right on top of her fucking head onto the apron, fell on the floor. So it looked really like it actually messed up Dakota. And that's what I thought when I saw it. And then when the referee came out, he went up. If you were to go back and watch it. Uh, Dakota Kai is saying, I'm fine. Check Shotzi, like, you know, like signaling, like nothing happened to me, really. You need to go to her. And, you know, came back, was talking to Shotzi. Apparently she was good to go. And I mean, Raquel Gonzalez tried to get involved. Like I said, Rhea Ripley fucked that up. And at the end of it, uh, Dakota Kai tried to do her halluva kick. Uh, the one that she does all across the, the circle across the ring. Uh, and missed it and got rolled up one, two, three. When she nails that move, it looks awesome. But most of the time, it's kind of like the Ric Flair with the first step at the figure four or the, the getting thrown off the top ropes. It's like every time, most of the time that Dakota Kai tries to go for that usually does not work out for her. So I don't know. Looks cool, but is it worth it, Chris? That's a good match. Shotzi, I hope you're okay. Definitely not worth it. I don't think you're going to gain more momentum running in a circle to hit the hell of a kick as opposed (laughs) to running a straight line uh in general but it is amusing uh the the spot you're talking about this is what i wrote about it um so they they're starting to fight on the apron they trade some kicks and then blackheart was going for a bulldog i think and then it got reversed into a reverse suplex and they both went ass over tea kettle on the apron so I'm not sure that that's what they were going for. It definitely looked crazy as fuck. Um, but that's when the ref went and did that check on them. I thought this was a pretty good match. I don't think it needed the interference. And they gave us a roll-up pin, basically, with Shotzi getting the win. Which further points to Shotzi getting a, uh, a push here, I think. Yep. My crazy, Dane? No, man. I think she's on the rise right now. Um. I think that aspect, especially, even if it was a roll-up, Shotzi beat Dakota Kai. She's done well. She had a really good match with EO, not for the title, but ended up, you know, losing it. I think she's uh, going to be one of their their top girls soon. Uh, so that, that's awesome. Do you think it pisses Austin Theory off knowing that Shotzi Blackheart's more over than he is at this point since coming from Evolve? <laughs> I'm sure if if that's the case, he keeps it to himself. Because uh, right now I'm sure he's just happy to be, and uh, I'm happy to be here, sort of thing. <laughs> happy to be employed after uh, some internet stuff. Yep, exactly. Uh, all right, so we had a little interview between Santos Escobar and Isaiah Swerve Scott. I thought this was really good, man. I like San- or, uh, Santos Escobar. I think that great heel, great demeanor. He, there's like sh- he shadowed a bit. You know, and just looks like he's like at his mansion on his best chair in this nice outfit. And uh, Isaiah Sawyer Scott just puts it out there, man. You know, the fact that every 
two times he's beat him, he's needed something like a, uh, either his minions to help out or the loaded mask or whatever, you know. And Escobar kind of laughs at at um, and, and humbles Isaiah Swerve Scott. Uh, and I think this is going to be a good match, man. The thing is, this this is one of those those times in wrestling where you're going to have a good match. It's just there's not as much heart <laughs> into the actual match as you hope there there would be. But I'm sure this is going to be good. I feel the same thing for the Velveteen Dream and um and uh, what you call it? Um, holy crap! Kushida. Kushida. I think it's going to be a good match, but I don't think there's any heart in it. I, I think it's kind of like a shell, you know. But what do you think about this back and forth? I like the promos. I still hate the loaded mask. I think the loaded mask is super stupid because I don't understand how that wouldn't hurt both people. But outside of that, it was a good promo from both of them. Look forward to their future match. Um, I like the Santo Escobar comfy mafia-esque chair that you alluded to. It wasn't it wasn't good enough for me though. It needed to be like more like Tony Montana Scarface. Really big and draping when he's doing that cocaine mountain. Oh yes, yeah, so you movie. want the table with the cocaine all over it? I don't know if I need the cocaine, but it definitely the high back throne chair should have been more prevalent. <laughs> oh god. All right, so the next part we had a vignette, Chris. And we saw the one last time. I actually, I think I have some of the details. Uh, this mystery person. And, all right, so two weeks ago, since we didn't do a show last week, it's still pretty relevant. Uh, there was there was a promo of this person. Their voices all, you know, got different sounds. They're not a part of Retribution, though. We know that, I guess. Uh, maybe, that, maybe it is. Uh, but anyways... Um, it's one of the persons from Retribution. It's a past NXT wrestler. It's the, one of the people flooding fucking Retribution trying to come back to NXT. That's who it is. Anyways. Um, so it was an unknown surgeon declared they're coming back to NXT to take what's theirs. Uh, and a lot of people have been saying it might be multiple people. But anyways, the last week's promo was, I'm not sure what happened. I helped create something out of my own blood, years and years of dedication to be taken over by paper champions. These NXT champions have been in isolation for far too long, and now I've come back. Uh, they stated as their characters was shown breaking protective glass to retrieve title belt, the takeover is mine. And then this last week, or this week, I should say, um... It said, I've heard them say you can never go back home. Too many roads in life to take, but sometimes you have to stop and look around to see what home may not be the place it was when you left it, and you realize doing something about it is your destiny. So weird, cryptic fucking messages from this mystery person. You know, it's all night vision. This person was driving a motorcycle this time, so a lot of people are saying that if, if it's, you know, it, it looks like a skinnier, uh, based on their wrist, it might be a woman, basically, uh, compared to, you know, if not, it might be a more, like, a smaller guy. But 
they're kind of presenting this as like an ex champion uh, or an ex big player, I guess, in NXT. I, I I don't know. You know, the rumors are this somehow is going to be um, related to Tessa, like she's going to come in and she's meeting the Mae Young Classic, and I guess trying to bring aspects of her. I don't know that that to me doesn't make sense. So I, I definitely think Tessa's coming to WWE at some point. And they might have some involvement in something, maybe the women's uh, championship match, but that might be separate. But people are saying Bo Dallas has been one of the names thrown around, suggested. Um, Ember Moon, who told us recently that she might be done with wrestling, period, because of the injury she sustained, which is terrible. But, you know, there's a lot of different people swirling around people's heads. Uh, based on the body, it's definitely not Kevin Owens. So we're, we can we can probably strike that one off the uh, list. <laughs> um, but uh, weird vignettes, spooky person coming to take over, past big person in NXT apparently. Could be a woman, could be a man. What do you think? Uh, I want to say maybe Ember Moon or uh, Ruby Riot. Yeah, it, it definitely could be. I, I mean, the mo- the motorcycle gimmick doesn't really fit anyone. I, I when initially I saw it, I didn't think about the body size. I was like, Jason Riker, that makes sense. They're gonna bring back Gunner. That would be yeah. awesome. And give him a run. But then I saw like everyone took at the photos of the body size, and I was like, that's not Jason Riker. Either that, or they hired a guy <laughs> to ride the motorcycle, and it is just gonna be him after the fact. <laughs> <laughs> and so it sounds like this person is going to approach if it's a woman obviously the the female champion and if it's a man obviously the male champion probably after their match i'm assuming i, I don't know um i don't know who the fuck it could be honestly it's going to be someone that pretty big like i love bo dallas and if that's him that's great but is that really going to fucking make me you know like yeah I mean, I don't know, but the big deal is that it's uh, Sunday, so we'll find out very soon either way, Yeah, because that's what the vignette said. It said 10-4-2020, so I, I guess we'll see you this Sunday. I, I have no idea. I Hopefully, I mean, I would love for it to be Ember Moon just because I felt like, I mean, I don't know what the extent of her injuries were. They sounded pretty terrible when she gave that go-away speech, but... Um, for her to come back into that great female wrestling division they have in NXT, uh, that could be pretty fucking awesome. And uh, I, what are they doing with Ruby Riot right, right now? She is in a tag team with Liv Morgan, but not anything. I think they finally got one win, and they—I think they were supposed to go against, like I said, uh, fuck uh, Nia Jax and um, why am I thinking Rhea Ripley? Um, yeah, Jenna Baszler. Just her character fits like someone that would ride a motorcycle. I guess is the yeah the other piece of that. But who am I forgetting? I, God, I hope it's Aleister Black. Fuck it, Jesus Christ! <laughs> it's it's it. Well, if it's not if it's not Gunner, it's not Aleister Black. They're like the same size. Yeah, you're probably right. Uh, a man can dream, can he? Yeah, well. Does, do you think, does Shinsuke know how to fucking drive a motorcycle? Probably. That seems like something he would know how to do. Yeah, that would be awesome. 
just leave Cesaro. <laughs> but Shinsuke, we're the tag champions. I'm good. Sorry. I'm good. I heard Roman has a tribal crew and New Day's coming back, so it's time to get out of here. <laughs> I was like, I need to get fucking out of here. God damn it. Uh, anyways. I just, I just want to surf and ride my motorcycle. That's, that's really all I want to do. No. <laughs> oh, God. All right. So, um, we have that is just those. That's nothing. All right. So, back from the break, Tom confirms Tegan Knox out of action. We talked about that. Very unfortunate situation. All right. So, we have the Cayman Rams Invitational. Uh, first we had Joey Pistachio. So Cameron Grimes comes out, lays out that he's the best and that he can beat anyone, and he puts on this invitational for people to come out. I really like Cameron Grimes, man. Um, I know that they're they're kind of sidelining him right now, but I think that in the future he's gonna do some cool stuff. He just his kookiness, man. I I love it. Just a little southern flair. I told you, and you know, obviously trying to compare to someone like Terry Funk is very, you know, very hard to say, but there's elements of his wacky fuckingness that reminds me of WCW fucking Terry Funk when he came and broke fucking Flair's neck and was a maniac in that fucking cage match with Muda against Sting and Flair that was electrocuted. Like, just the craziness that he used to really uh, zone in on. Uh, anyways, there's some elements there. But he's obviously a lot more of like a, just a funny character in general. But still, fucking great wrestler. I love how he just makes a stomp to the chest look that devastating. But uh, he had Joey Pistachio, his little dude comes out, immediately stomped, done. And then he was going to have Joey Strong come out. But Ridge Holland decided to intervene. Comes out and the fucking referee just does an impromptu match. Starts it. Cameron Grimes gets smashed by uh, Ridge really easy. And I'm still mad about it, man. Winner Ridge Holland. And I just think that that Ridge screwed over Cameron Grimes and he should probably talk to William Regal. And later on, he was trying to find him and was very mad about the whole situation because he didn't ask to go against, you know, Ridge Holland. By the way, Ridge Holland, really cool look. Um, You can tell he's a bit green. We've said that before in the past, but I think has a lot of potential I think people, even though, yes, his body size is very similar to young Brock Lesnar's, let's bring that concept away from him because it's going to just fucking hurt him with those comparisons. But anyways, what do you think about Cameron Grimes with his invitational? I liked the idea of it. Uh, the pistachio thing was pretty funny. I like a small guy with the last name Pistachio. That's fucking great. Um, I like that they're both of their names are Joe. It was pretty funny. I, I liked, I enjoyed that joke. Um, Rich Holland coming out. He didn't win. He got DQ'd. Oh, did he? Yeah. For excessive violence. So he just whipped the shit out of Cameron Grimes, unsuspecting Cameron Grimes. So that sets up a match in the future. But as far as I could recall, he just wouldn't break a five count and lost. They've been getting so weird with, in WWE lately with what the, how they call matches with the refs. Uh. Yeah, so I don't I don't know what that really means, and I'm, I'm assuming they're going to feud for a little bit. But uh, yeah, the Rich Holland thing, like uh, <laughs> comparing him to Brock Lesnar is absolutely crazy because Brock Lesnar 
when he came into WWE is 320 pounds, like six foot five or some shit. Yeah, Rich, not... Rich just has really big traps, guys. That's 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 the big. Uh, <laughs> yes. It's a big comparison, basically. I guess. Yeah, I think like the. When, that's like when Zack Ryder showed up on AEW and realized how much bigger he was than most of the people on AEW's roster. Uh, if you put which. Where the hell did Matt Cardona go? <laughs> if you put if you put if you put Ridge uh, next to fucking Brock Lesnar, you'll be like, oh, okay, <laughs> like not the same. Those are not the same. That's awesome. Uh, all right, so uh, Schreiber is backstage and she's talking to Austin Theory, and you know he of course says that his loss to Damian Priest uh, should have never happened. Uh, and he goes on to talk about how he should have probably been involved in the uh, the tournament uh, to instead of Kyle O'Reilly and just kind of puts down Kyle O'Reilly and saying that he's apparently supposed to be the future of of NXT. And, you know, he's 22 and was competing in WrestleMania this last year. And, you know, Kyle O'Reilly's 36. He's like, really? The future? And he should, he said that he should try to catch up. The thing is, we all know about some of the, the, the weird scrutiny that's out there with Austin Theory. His wrestling, his, his cockiness, his promos, he's going to do really well back and forth with Adam Cole, uh, both on the mic and in the ring. He's fucking talented, man. I got to say that. Uh, I thought this was a pretty good uh, interview and it would end up in Adam Cole calling him out, but we'll talk about that in a little while. What did you think about it, Chris? Oh, he came off as the perfect douchebag heel. It yeah. Was, it, was, it was a good promo. Um, and later on, like we talked, like you just said, he had a great match. I like him calling out Kyle O'Reilly. I'm a little weird on this entire show with uh, Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly being positioned as baby faces. Yeah. I think I might know where it's going. I'm not sure. I, we kind of like where one of them has to turn, I guess. They both can't handle this, but we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, Austin Theory here, great. Pretty good promo. Yep. Uh, I like I like the uh, – there, there's one line where was like, Kyle O'Reilly should catch up with Austin Theory when he's talking to yeah. the first person. who was – it's pretty funny. It would have been even funnier if Kyle O'Reilly somehow did win the tag titles when he was on Raw for that short stint. <laughs> Probably would have helped out. So weird. That being said, uh, he he has gotten his ass whipped every time he's been on this show as punishment. This is going to be the third loss. This is definitely going to be the third loss <laughs> so. in a row. He, it's really hard for him to come out and cut this promo when he's gotten his ass kicked like three weeks in a row. I mean, I get like, I get it, but I, you know, I don't get it for where they're going with this guy. He needs to get some wins over someone. Maybe Joe Pistachio is available next week. I hope so. So Kushida cuts a promo uh, where he's talking about in Japanese about Velveteen Dream and how he doesn't respect him and how he's going to. You know, he, he messed the wrong dude. He underestimated uh, Kushida. And then Kushida, after we get back from the break, goes to prove that by going against Tony Nese. We haven't seen him on television in a minute. Good seeing Tony. Still a really fucking solid wrestler. But whatever. Uh, but Kushida just annihilates him, man. I mean, it just starts off 
with him just going at him and just kicking him and just I mean he had, he got the hooverboard lock in very very quickly uh, and winner Kushida after the match Kushida stands tall uh, as his music hits we go to replays Kushida stands in the ring as a purple light shines over the arena the Velveteen Dream appears on the big screen uh, Dream doesn't care which Kushida shows up on Sunday because the spotlight will be too bright on him. Dream goes on and says he always puts on the best performance under the brightest spotlights, so he will see Kushida this Sunday. So, uh, yeah. Um, thought Kushida looked like a monster hyping up this match. It's going to be a very interesting match, both stylistically, to see what these guys pull off. This is going to sound fucking crazy, but Kushida squash matches are my new favorite thing on wrestling each week. Jesus they're Christ. <laughs> he just shows up and he whips the shit out of somebody. And he's like, there's going to be a new Kushida. Uh, I don't know, man. I'd probably have Kushida beat Velveteen Dream. They probably won't oh, get yeah. out. But holy shit, this pissed off little Kushida is amazing. It's great. Um, the Velveteen promo afterwards was fine, but Kushida squash matches are slowly becoming my favorite thing on NXT. They should do one a week. <laughs> I'm down, man. I'm down. All right, so next, uh, we got Adam Cole. He comes to the ring. Uh, he is very angry. And he's basically saying, you know, that people, you know, didn't think that the Undisputed Era would be able to do what they did, and they did. They've all been champions. They've dominated. They were part of the first war games, and they won it. You know, just going over everything. So basically what he's trying to say is that all of them have built themselves within um, NXT, and so Austin Theory doesn't need to be questioning Kyle O'Reilly on whether or not he should be a part of anything. And then he calls uh, Austin Theory out, and Theory comes walking out, but Cole wants him to get in the ring. Uh, Cole, uh, you know, uh, they're just going back and forth. And the thing is, that was great with Theory is he wasn't backing down. He, I don't know if he was supposed to go back and forth, but he was saying a lot of stuff. So if he isn't, he was maxing his minutes, basically, and, and, and going back and forth with uh, Cole pretty well. And then they had an awesome fucking match, man. Um, I mean, at the ending, inevitably... Obviously, Adam Cole uh, did his version of the Uranagi and then the last shot, but it was it was a fucking it was a great match. Uh, I mean, the thing theory really, I mean, besides being super athletic, really strong, you know, based on his size. I mean, he's a big dude. He's 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 got that almost like that Benoit type of body, um, just stocky, and so he's strong as fuck. He's aerial as hell. I mean, he's got it in every way, but he can sell like a motherfucker. He can bump like a machine, and uh, that comes off very impressive. So even in losing, I think that based on who he went against, he went against Bronson Reed. Um, he went against, uh, whatchamacallit, um, uh, Damian Priest. You know, at least there there's some people bigger, but he's still showing good matches. So that, that's... that's uh, one thing, that's one way to look at it. But um, after the match, Cole stands tall. His music hits. Cole talks to Kara about how great Kyle O'Reilly is more. I mean, and how he's going to beat him on on, on uh, Sunday. So I guess we could start this question now, but I'll let you comment on the match, obviously, before this. But 
let, let, let's go in this direction of how just eager Beaver Adam Cole is for his buddy to get his title uh, after, we're, after we talk about this. So what do you think about the match? Let's talk about the intro to the match beforehand. Um, I liked that Adam Cole's like, you can fight me in the ring or we can just whip your ass. Talking about yeah. the disputed error. Like, so like Austin Theory really didn't have a choice. In theory. No pun intended. In Austin Theory. <laughs> but, so he gets in the ring, they have this match, and it's very old school. Austin Theory sells 85% of this match. He gets a little bit of a comeback. And then you get the... Uh, you get two, what it, because fucking Adam Cole renamed his finisher, you got both of those, the last call or whatever, you got two of those in a row, uh, which is pretty cool, and uh, good finish to the match. The promo afterwards does lead you to believe that, gotta pick one as a babyface, and they both were so good as babyfaces during the show. I think uh, one with, earlier in the show, Adam Cole was on, comp or, Maybe it's after Adam Cole's on commentary and he really puts over Kyle O'Reilly. And then you get this great Kyle O'Reilly video package, super babyface video package. Who's going to turn on who, I guess. And who is the, the crew going to follow? And um, I don't know, man. I might go Kyle O'Reilly as far as who might be the babyface goes, but you could, you could be a coin toss. Kyle O'Reilly fits a need. I think there is being, just your super good in the ring baby face wrestler a la like a Sami Zayn or someone the crowd can get behind whereas Adam Cole having to fight through that entire group would be something different as a baby face so I don't know I think either way they're they're solid gold this is good shit yeah my big thing I mean maybe it's too obvious uh, maybe that's not what happened it would be really cool to swerve people because I think a lot of people say potentially, all right. So because the thing is with Finn Balor, I love Finn, but I don't know. I I think he could lose to Kyle O'Reilly. And it's not going to hurt him. Uh, They finally can finally go to the UK. So you could take him off for a little while, maybe get, I don't know, some type of win couple build him up Finn Balor's fucking pretty good right now is what I'm saying and I know he would have had a short title run but he was supposed to be transitional anyways and they want to go with storytelling it's an easy story to tell if Kyle O'Reilly takes that belt from Finn and then from there you could have either where basically uh Adam Cole was showing pretty some weakness beforehand with the Pat with the Pat McAfee with putting Finn over so much after their match, you know, maybe the fact that Kyle's a champ, it's like they just automatically beat the living hell out of Adam Cole, you know, the next thing and everything from Kyle O'Reilly, all the, all the whatever. He was still acting pretty swarmy a little bit with Finn Balor in their interview. So maybe he's actually the heel. Or you just do the, the kind of what a lot of people see possibly happening and you do the evolution thing where, Dude, Adam Cole is such a great fucking heel. And, I mean, do you really want him to be it? So all this stuff that he's saying, he doesn't believe Kyle O'Reilly will be able to beat fucking Finn Balor because Finn Balor beat him. So there's no fucking way he's going to win the title. But when he does, oh, shit. And then what do you do? You do Randy Orton and Triple H, man. 
Thumbs up, thumbs down. Adam Cole shows his true colors that he's still a fucking bad guy. We should never even have doubted that. And you put over Kyle as his great baby face. Yeah, it's very similar to what's already happened, but who gives a shit? They always redo stories in fucking wrestling. And it's okay to do good ones uh, to me. And, you know, Adam Cole is still a vicious villain. He's got Roddy and fucking... They could recruit a fourth person if they want to. They could keep it a trio if they want to. But Kyle O'Reilly is a great in-ring wrestler, and he has potential to be a good babyface. But they could do either or, or they could do neither. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, this is one of the most interesting storylines in wrestling right now to me, just because there are two outcomes. Um, One of the outcomes would just be that Adam Cole is so obsessed with winning the title that he forgets the fact that he has a group and he refuses their help during the match for a second time and loses. And then they beat and turn on him. And then Kyle O'Reilly wins the match hooker crook later on. Uh, All the situations you laid out earlier and things I talked about, that's what makes this interesting. I personally want Kyle O'Reilly to be a baby face. And have to go through Adam Cole and have to go through all these obstacles. I think that's very good. And, and also, if you're looking for a fourth member, uh, once again, Timothy Thatcher's out there uh, just hanging out. You guys can <laughs> recruit as needed. <laughs> um, yeah. But but there's so much cool stuff they can do with Undisputed Air. Hopefully it's not just, hey, Adam Cole's going to lose and he's going up to the main roster and then we'll Undisputed Era will just be a tag team, and Kyle O'Reilly will be his own guy. I hope they're looking at it deeper than that, which I would assume they are just based off what their title picture looks like. And uh, where the fuck is Ciampa, by the way? I don't know. He almost murdered... uh... Man, John... I can't do it. He's a good wrestler, too. He does that awesome cartwheel DDT. But he annihilated him last week, and yeah, he wasn't on this time. Uh, we need it. We need him to show up. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Just put him with Gargano, man. DIY. Just do it. What the fuck are you doing with either of those guys? He's not beating fucking Damian Priest this weekend. I know we're not in predictions <laughs> yet, but it's not happening. So if Johnny's a heel, Tommaso's a heel. They're one of the best tag teams. They've never been a heel version of that tag team. It's another tag team to add back in. I mean, dude, that means we have potential, potential that beer money and fucking DIY can be a part of the same tag division. I'm sure they would both love that. (laughs) Awesome. Specifically Bobby Roode, who's like, I wish I was wrestling at some point in my fucking life. Jesus Christ. God, man. How are you going to push a guy through his late 30s into his 40s and not do shit with him? He had such a great theme song coming up to the main roster. Just came off the NXT title run. He's probably going to lose that, though, because of this fucking legal battle. God. Well. That sucks. Yeah, I hate to be a downer. But anyways. um, All right, so back with the show. Schreiber is backstage with Io Shirai and Damian Priest, asking how confident they are about going against NXT's power couple. Priest laughs at the name and says they can keep the power couple title because he and Shirai are keeping their titles at TakeOver. Ha ha! You see what we did there? He goes on <laughs> about the match until Shirai cuts a promo in Japanese. They bump uh, 
hand horns and Shirai comments on Priest being a rock star. Priest walks off and Shirai says he's not bad. I really like this. I thought this was charming. I thought both of them were awesome. They both look like rock stars. And yeah, even though it's kind of like dad joke-ish, I thought that that joke from Priest was kind of funny. Uh, What'd you think? Damien Priest been on fire since he won that title, man. Dude, I'm telling you, man, that's that sidewalk slam he does to Johnny in the match that's what we're about to talk about in a second. Fucking good shit. Good it's shit. like all it's like all he needed was a little bit of confidence, and as soon as they gave it to him, I think he's been on fire. He's been great. His promos have been great. Um, I liked the joke, similar to you. I mean, it was a dad joke, but I think that's what they were fucking going for. And Io Shirai doing the Japanese promo kind of made it funnier to me. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, man. I loved it. Um, uh, so I enjoyed this. I've really liked Damian Priest, and he's who I said should win that ladder match, honestly, because I think they can build a mid-card division around that guy um, until they're ready to push him. And they're doing a good job of that, I think. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, all right, so Caden Carter went against Zia Lee. Very short match. Uh, Zia's been losing, but... It seems like in storyline, they're using it to make her more intense. And uh, at the beginning of the match, her and Caden Carter, very, you know, uh, sportsmanlike. They both shake each other's hands. And uh, Caden had her tag team partner, uh, Casey Canazaro, in her corner. And, uh, yeah, she ended up losing. And she kind of flipped out and got pissed off about it. After the match, Carter stands tall. We go to replays, and Casey joins her. Carter offers uh, her hand to Lee and helps her from the corner. Lee ends up pushing Carter to the mat. Casey grabs her arm and asks her what her problem is. Lee knocks her hand away and storms out of the ring. Uh, Casey stands with Carter as Lee's music plays while Lee heads to the back. So, you know, man, it's it's uh, it's not it's not good. It's not good. What do you think about this match? What's going on with Zia Lee? I miss this completely. So I cannot comment on this. Are you Jim Cornette? No, I mean, I just missed this. I don't think I saw this match. So I'm going to refrain from commenting. (laughs) Sorry, guys. I I failed the city. (laughs) I failed the city. Oh, my God. All right, well, let's talk about this uh, recorded segment between Shawn Michaels, uh, you know, talking with Kyle O'Reilly and NXT champion Finn Balor. I like how it started off just very smooth and like complimentary. And then all of a sudden Kyle O'Reilly just takes a dig at Finn and Finn's like, wait, what the fuck did you say? And he's silent for a while. And then Finn cuts him off and brings his intensity towards him. Kyle's like, that's the Finn Balor. That's the prince that I wanted to talk to. And then it gets more and more cocky. And, you know, that's kind of predictable, like a normal, like, well, I'm going to beat you, and no, you're, you're wrong. And, but I thought that the way they went about it, how Kyla was acting nice, and they were, like, talking, giving each other compliments. I also love that video package, like you were talking about, how he was explaining. He's like, yeah, like, I've been watching Finn for, for a long time. And, like, when I got out of Canada and started wrestling in the U.S. and Europe, he stopped doing that, and he went to Japan. When I went to Japan, he came over to NXT. When I went over to NXT, like, you know, just kind of explain that journey. Thought that was really cool. Um, I, uh, I I I like this interview between the two of them. I like the back and forth. It definitely added it, and I thought that Kyle O'Reilly stood uh, pretty pretty 
pretty tall, I would say. I thought it was great, but it also had one of my favorite Finn Balor lines in a long time, uh, which was, if Kyle O'Reilly was going against anyone whose name wasn't Finn Balor, he would probably win the championship this Sunday. (laughs) Which I was like, holy shit. He put that guy over while saying that he's actually the best. I thought that was really great. That's probably not the exact wording, but that's what I remember from the end of that promo. Uh, both was great. Love the video package. I'm excited for that match. That should be the best match on the show. Yeah, definitely, man. Uh, all right, so we had the last match. Damian Parisi, Shirai, Giant Gargano, Candice LeRae. And at the end of it, the heel stood tall. We went off the air with Candice and Johnny looking over Basically, the corpses, if you will, of Io Shirai and Damian Priest. So they're going to both lose. That's usually the logic and math of WWE. But what would you uh, think about this match? I can't remember a lot from it. I don't really like intergender matches. Io did a lot of maneuvers against Johnny, though. What would you think about it, Chris? Uh, Johnny and Candice sold for fucking ever. Forever. <laughs> and then some stuff happened. And uh, the heel team bit, beat the heel team? I guess. Is Damian Priest a babyface now? I don't know. I believe so. Okay. So, I would assume that Damian Priest would retain that title. I don't know about the uh, the Io Shirai thing, just because I feel like they will bring her up to Maine. They need somebody right now. Unless Charlotte is coming back and I'm unaware of it. She did post a picture of her, Ric Flair, and Andre uh, Andrade in the gym looking buff as fuck. So maybe she's coming back next week or something. Unfortunately, we had some internet connectivity issues. So right off the rip, I'm going to apologize for that. And uh, just give you a rundown of what the NXT TakeOver card is going to look like. Dane will be unable to join us for this. But uh, right off the bat, we have the NXT Championship match. Finn Balor versus Kyle O'Reilly. I'm going to go on Kyle O'Reilly's side just because I think the storyline with the Undisputed Era, as you guys have heard, uh, might be the most exciting thing they have going in NXT. With Io Shirai versus Candice LeRae, I'm going to go with Io Shirai. North American Championship, I'm going to lean towards uh, Damian Priest. It's weird this is another ladder match, so maybe I could be wrong on this one. Gargano could figure out a way to get the win, but... Who knows? In the singles match, we have Kushida versus Velveteen Dream. As strong as they have built Kushida, I feel like he deserves the win here. I'm going to go with Kushida. I could be wrong unless they give us a little bit more about what's going on with Velveteen Dream. The NXT Cruiserweight match, I actually think that Santos Escobar will retain. So I think those are the primary matches uh, happening on NXT. Outside of that, thank you guys so much for listening. You can, uh, if you want to talk to us, you can hit us on Twitter. You can hit me at Chris R. Patton on Twitter and at Dane Alves42 on Twitter. Uh, if you want to check out the rest of all of our content, it's everywhere. If you search uh, Wrestling Geeks Alliance, you're going to find multiple platforms in which you can download the show, whether it's Stitcher, if you want to subscribe, or Spotify, or iTunes, or even sometimes YouTube. It's all there. Uh, And make sure you check out 
everything we have to offer on Geek Vibes Nation. Uh, Geek Vibes Nation. Let me pull up the website there. On Facebook is Geek Vibes Nation, Twitter Geek Vibes Nation, and it should be geekvibesnation.com if I'm not mistaken. Um, tons of good stuff coming out in uh, the month of October, including including some horror podcasts and stuff I have going on. So if you guys get a chance, listen to all that. Hope everyone has a great week. If you want to talk to me, like I said, hit me at Chris R. Patton on Twitter. Once again, apologize for the technical difficulties and the rushed uh, predictions of the show. Hopefully we'll have something else out for you guys real soon. And everyone have a wonderful week. Peace out and let the geek vibes be with you.